Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of the entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I'm Sean Chapman. And this week we are talking to you from the past. <laughs> yes, Sean and I are both, as you're listening to this podcast, Sean and I are both sort of out of commission. I am in Canada right now on a fishing trip. No internet or anything. I'm in a cabin in a lake, and it's called Nestor Falls, Ontario. You've never heard of it. Just trust me. And uh, I'm indisposed. I'll be off fighting my arch nemesis. He's going to be throwing my girlfriend off a bridge in a few days, so I'm going to be kind of like dealing with shit. So Okay. Yeah. Are you going to tell the listeners what you're actually up to? That's what I'm actually up to. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. It's like, I'm working for S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a whole thing. Okay. So. I want you to know when your girlfriend dies being thrown off the bridge, I will be there for you, buddy. So it's like, are you going to be high on drugs like Harry Osborn, and I'm going to have to smack some sense into you? No. Okay, because I'm probably <laughs> going to do it anyways. I'm not playing. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. Okay. Anyway, we have uh, hosted uh, several other podcasts over the years, and um, we are today going to be playing you a long section of one of them. This is our countdown of our most hated movies. This was recorded back in February or March of 2012 this year, released uh, under the Monthly Stuff podcast banner. So if you listen to the Monthly Stuff, you've already heard of most of this. You've already heard most of this, but we know we have a bigger audience for WGTC Radio. So most of you will have never heard this, but it's a really good discussion. And we talk about a bunch of terrible movies, lots of loud shouting and getting mad and swearing. All the stuff you love, and hopefully not as much of the stuff you hate. Yes, exactly. But I just want to urge you to listen to this podcast for one main reason, and that is that at the end of the podcast, Sean has a rant about a film called After Last Season. It is, I've timed it before, it's the last 29 minutes and 55 seconds of the podcast. So if you just want to, if that's all you want to listen to, you only have half an hour, skip to the last 29 minutes and 55 seconds of the podcast and listen to Sean rant about After Last Season. I think it's a minor comedic masterpiece. It will also make you sad. Can we, we need to release a director's cut and put on five more seconds so it's an even 30 minutes. Do you want to do that? Add, okay. Splice it on the end here? Okay, sure. <laughs> so, I guess, um, prepare yourselves for some really funny discussions about some really, really terrible movies. Yes. And yes. So, lots of good stuff. Uh, we will see you back next week. We'll be talking about The Dark Knight Rises. So, have seen the movie the by Dark then. The Dark Knight Strikes Again. Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> again from the dead. R.I.P. Dark Knight Rises, we'll be talking about the whole movie like Year one. like in the Prometheus podcast or the Amazing Spider-Man podcast. So we will see you then. Hope you're all having a good week. And uh, let's listen to the topic. We are going to talk about our most hated movies. And we use the term most hated because to say worst would be inaccurate in any case, I yeah. think. We, we try to avoid the worst of the worst movies, Sean and I. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even as a critic, there are some I have to see. And before, when I went to press screenings, there were a lot I had to see. But, you know, even then, there are ones you just avoid. And yeah, and for me, there I don't have any movies that I have to see. So my, yeah. my list is a bit sparse. But there are a yeah. few that I have inadvertently wound up seeing without yeah. realizing the complete terror that I was approaching. Yes. And you have a story of one... Yeah, yeah, we'll get to yeah, that. we'll get to that anyway. So we we, we keep, well, so while we can't talk about the worst movies of all time, we were talking about this earlier. If there's is there anyone who could do that? And my only conclusion was Roger Ebert could do theatrical, but he couldn't do like direct to video. Yeah, because there's so many like, yeah. especially if you get into like stuff when people started getting their own hand cameras and like yeah. trying to release movies on their own. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, I have one like that. 
but we'll get to that. We can talk about, however, which movies we've seen that we hate the most, and that's what we're doing today. We have really no set number of movies. I have a bunch. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. Sean has six or seven. Mm-hmm. And um, we're just going to go back and forth until we're out of stuff to talk about. Uh, I am going to start with a movie that I was reminded of the other day, and I just kind of got angry thinking about it. And huh? this is Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat. I, I saw that. I don't remember anything except for... What was it? Was Mike Myers? It's the cat. Yes. Yeah, that was terrifying. Yes, it was <laughs> fucking terrifying. I can the hat, and to a lesser extent, how the Grinch stole Christmas, which is bad, but not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. Sometimes, yeah, this, the, how the Grinch stole Christmas has some good moments. Yeah, it does. And but the problem both of those movies share is that they are parodies of Doctor Seuss. They're not in any way like organic adaptations or thoughtful adaptations. And the Cat in the Hat is possibly the most mean-spirited kids movie of all time because every other sentence out of Mike Myers' mouth as the cat is a really dirty sex joke. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Like, oh my god. is He's talking about getting spayed and neutered. He's talking about, like... It's, yes, it, there's so much of it. Like, he's got one of his main songs is all about him getting, like, hit in the nuts. And, it, it, oh god. Did like, they, Do you remember if they ever used the phrase the cat in the hat as, like, an elaborate sex joke? They, I think they did. Like, there's a whole thing where he sees, like, their mother's picture and he takes it and it, he unfolds it like a Playboy fold-out spread and then he's going, like, humming a humming a You know, and it's like... This is like, I'm not a prude, but this is for little kids, you know? Yeah, and then also it's like, where was the scene in the original, in the little book, yeah. where he like pulled out a centerfold yeah. of their And mother. starts, you know, jacking off to a picture of the kid's mother. That's not in the in the book. It would have been a way better yeah. book, though. I don't even know where to begin with this. It is, I, I, I want to start with this because I think it defines everything that that I would say creates a bad movie. It's, you know, a really terrible lead performance. Like, Mike Myers can be really funny when he is on, Mm -hmm. but not when he's in a cat suit. (laughs) How else do I say that? You know? he's When you think of the cat in the hat, do you associate that with Mike Myers? And, you know, like his Austin Powers stick? Because that's basically what he's doing in this. And they even do make... I think he says, you know, oh, behave as the cat. (laughs) So it's, it's also from that time in movie history in the early 2000s, where every kid's movie, this was after Shrek, where every kid's movie had to be littered with pop culture references. And that's why, you know, you have the cat saying, oh, behave. And this was one of them, and this is one of the worst of them. And, uh, you know, so yeah, my main problems with the movie is the character of the cat, but there is so much else. They have to, you know, extend the plot to feature length, and they do a really bad job at it, where the two kids, who are played by fairly talented young actors, um... It was Dakota Fanning and Spencer Breslin. Spencer Breslin, I don't think, ever did another movie after this. Poor kid. But, you know, the, the movie was not his fault. He was that's probably because he got traumatized. Yeah, that's, movie. that's true. I would be. I can't believe Dakota Fanning, you know, came back to acting after having to, you know, be on with Mike Myers on set every day as a giant cat. Anyway, um, the whole plot is that, like, their mother, who I think is played by Missy Pyle, and, like, she's, like, just basically a total slut. And she, like, her boyfriend is Alec Baldwin, who's evil and, like, wants to steal her fortune or something. And so they and the cat have to stop Alec Baldwin. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is my point. It's like, especially when we're talking about bad adaptations, being inaccurate to the book, that's okay if you do it right. Being unfaithful to the book sometimes, you know, all those things. Just taking a giant piss over everything one of the most beloved authors in history did is 
Like, there's, there's a level of disrespect to it that just makes me angry. You know? I'm just thinking back to our own little machinima project about the Grapes of Wrath right now. Yes. Well, that's true. Okay. Um, yes, Sean and I were not fans of the Grapes of Wrath when we read it and made a machinima project of it. But I will say this. Our Grapes of Wrath adaptation had more to do with the book John yeah. Steinbeck wrote than the cat in the hat did with anything Dr. Seuss did in his and, whole life. And at least our movie was funny. Yes, our movie was funny. You can find it on blip.tv, the Grapes of Wrath Halo edition. I hope it's still up there. I haven't checked lately. Uh, no, but yeah, you know, cat in the hat. I don't know what else. It's been so long. Yeah, you know, See, yeah for it's me, good. it's like completely... I've, like compiled away in that compartment where all those like early two thousands just like yeah. candy coated pop culture yeah. bullshit kids movies went and, into. You know, and this was a movie. It was directed by Bo Welch, who is one of the great production designers of all time. I don't think he's directed anything since, and I I even think he's done less production design. Like this really hurt his career, and I don't know if he's completely to blame because the production design on the movie is occasionally interesting, but it's also garish. Like it's bright and and. Colorful, but it's, you know, garish and ugly, too. And that's, Dr. Seuss was bright and colorful, but I don't think it ever got to a point where you would describe it as garish or yes. sort of unseemly. Um, you know, it's a bad movie. And I was reminded of it because it just came out on Blu-ray. Someone took <laughs> the time. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Who would, who would want to see that? Yeah. And, oh, and apparently it has a really great transfer. Like, and that's what the reviewer I was reading was like, why would you put this much effort into the cat in the hat to give us this, like, pristine HD print? It's like, how could you, how could you watch that with, like, Mike Myers and the cat suit yeah. in high definition and, like, not, like, yeah. gouge your eyes out? Yeah, and I, I really want to stress how scary the cat is in this movie. The cat is supposed to be a fun, comforting figure, and he is... In a different version of this, he would be the killer. He would be like, you know, the Chucky-esque yeah. killer. I mean, honestly, he really could have been a slasher yeah, villain. villain. Yeah. Like, if they had With just... His tail if, and... Yeah, if they had not been branded Cat in the Hat, and yeah. it was, like, obviously, like, a Cat in the Hat, like, rip-off. Yeah. Like, Cat in the Spats or something. And, and then, you know, you get into all the stuff that, you know, we have this rising, you know, epidemic of, you know, child sexual abuse and... The cat in the hat in this movie seems like he very honestly could be a sex offender, and there are creepy undertones to it. I mean, it, it, might, it might just be that Mike Myers is like a really weird fetish thing or yeah. something. He just had to get it out of his system, system. so it's like, fuck it, we're going to make cat in the hat. So he could go the cat. So he could go do the love guru. It's like, it was part of like his therapy or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, don't watch it, please. Okay, Sean, you want to give us one? Okay, so mine. I'm, let's talk about Gamera the Invincible. Okay. This is a. I haven't I haven't been into them for a while, but I used to really really love the Daikaiju, like giant Japanese monster movies, characterized epically by Godzilla, and I love all the Godzilla movies. Most of them are pretty terrible. I'll admit that, but they're they're usually really fun and they've got a nice heart. Gamera the Invincible is like the shit stain on the Daikaiju monster seems like franchise. Like, it's just absolutely terrible. It's one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And most of my bottom ones are just movies that are dreadfully boring, but I somehow convinced myself to watch them when I was a yeah. kid because I didn't know any better. And, I, and it's like, Gamera's like, oh, this is kind of like Godzilla. It's got to be okay. And then there's like, he, it's all about Gamera's like protecting this little kid. And they sing a, <laughs> they sing a fucking song. It's just... And they, like, they, the thing is, like, they do, they did the thing where it's, like, they try to make the monster sympathetic, 
but it's not one of the ones where Gamera's fighting anybody. Like, you can make Godzilla sympathetic when he's fighting another monster and, like, saving people. Trying to, like, it was, it's like trying to make the original Godzilla movie, where Godzilla's sympathetic, where he's, like, the, the metaphor for, like, a nuclear bomb, yeah. and trying to make the nuclear bomb sympathetic. Because Gamera's, like, running around killing people, destroying Tokyo, and somehow it's like he's got this friendship with this little kid, and the little kid's like, he's just misunderstood while he's eating his entire family. It's like, it's just, it's a terrible, boring movie that makes no sense, and it's just, it's just awful. But, if you watch the, the Mystery Science Theater episode of it, okay. that's hilarious. All the Gamera Mystery Science Theater ones are hilarious, okay. so... If you, those are really good ways to watch those movies. Do not watch it without Mystery Science Theater. You will, I mean, you're not going to just get like more than 10 minutes through it unless you're like 10 years old and can stand that stuff. Okay. Um, you know, you were talking about boring movies. I'm Mm going to go with one too that's like oppressively dull. This is one that I guarantee you've never heard of because it was so bad it never even got a DVD release. This is one I had to review for the Colorado Kids. It was called Evergreen. And, no, you shouldn't. I don't remember much about it at all. Um, Yeah, Wikipedia doesn't even have an entry for it. They have an entry for a 1934 British musical film. For a second, I thought that was the movie you were talking about. I was like, wait, you had to... How old are you? Yeah, no, 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 no. No, I I used to write for this paper called The Colorado Kids, and, uh, yeah, so I was sent for a few movies. Back during the Great Depression. Yeah, no, yes. This is a 2004 movie, and um, I... I don't remember much about it at all. It's just I've always, like, you know there are movies where you just know you carry hatred with you long after you remember plot details? Here's what I remember. There was this girl, apparently named Kate, according to the credited cast on IMDb. It does have an IMDb entry. But, anyway. I mean, everything's got an IMDb entry. that's true. Um, If it didn't, that would be truly pathetic. (laughs) Anyway. But, yeah, so there's this girl, and I think she has to go live with her grandmother, I think, or something. And... She, like, is just always arguing with her grandmother, and nothing ever happens. She's like a teenager. She goes out and gets drunk or something, and then she comes home, and she's like, like, you don't understand me. And they, they argue, and they bicker, and it's, it's a, like, the acting is unbelievably terrible. This is one of those indies that, you know, people like to say, oh, indie cinema is so great. No. I, I like, just want to make some it clear. Of like the really, it's like you only ever see yeah. the really good, good ones. Yes. That's those are the ones you only ever hear about. Yeah. Little Miss Sunshine, yes, is a fantastic indie film. However, if you went to the film festival where that premiered at, I am positive that everything playing around it was bad. Because a, indie does al, also means inexperienced. And this, yeah. this movie was shot poorly. It was acted poorly. It had no plot to speak of. Like, we talk about movies that have bad plots. It's it's uh, I- impressive to see a movie that has no plot. This is a movie that had no plot. Um, oh my god. It, it is, to this day, the only movie I have ever walked out of. Oh, wow. And I, I waited. I, movie like okay. okay. Um, I was younger. Like, I would never do that today. I would mm-hmm. sit through it and then write a bad review. I was much younger, but, like, we watched an hour of it and left. Um... It was also, they only projected it, if I remember, through, like, a satellite connection, so it started half an hour late, which made us angry to begin (laughs) with. Um, But, yeah, like, so, I'm looking at trivia on IMDb. No, they don't have much, if there's anything interesting. But, yeah, it was um, never really released wide, obviously. Um, I I, I don't even remember. I, I saw it at a big movie theater, but it didn't actually ever play there, I don't think. So I do like how the male lead's name is Chat. Oh, God, I remember... Ch- God. 
Like his name, like that's one of the like it triggered something. In me. <laughs> like I remember that, and he was like just a total fucking prick. And like, yeah, that's I mean, not a name. It's not... And if I remember correctly, there was also just a lot of the stereotypical teenage bullshit. Of like you've seen in every teen movie ever, where like the guy wants to have sex and the girl doesn't, and then it becomes this big deal, and then it's you know this drama about it, and it's like, I'm not saying that you know isn't a real thing that happens and stuff, but like. In movies, that's been done so much in teen dramas. You have to do it well. Mm-hmm. This wasn't done well. Yeah. This is just terrible. So we all have movies like this. That's Evergreen. Um, you know, ruined this beautiful city of Evergreen forever for me. <laughs> I guess. So. I don't. I don't think they actually. I don't remember if the like title Evergreen is ever explained because I know it's not set in Colorado. That was something I remembered. Was like we thought, oh, it must be set in Colorado. No, it's not. It's just one of those movies where they did no idea what the fuck to call it. So it's yeah. like just Oh, the, the one thing IMDb says is the spec script was called Avon Calling. So. See, at least that that's like a bullshit title that sounds like a bullshit title. Right. Like Evergreen sounds like it could be about something. Yeah. So, like a tree superhero. <laughs> that would be interesting. World. Okay. I'm very interested to hear about the next movie on your list. Okay, this one. This is... I'm kind of cheating because I've only ever seen this movie as a Mystery Science Theater episode. But I I realize I've seen tons of bad movies, but only through that show. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll pick one, and it's the worst one I've seen through Mystery Science Theater. It was from their very first season. I think it's like their second or third episode. It's The Robot versus The Aztec Mummy. And if I had seen this without the, the riffing... This might be, like, up in, like, my top three worst movies I've ever seen, or most hated. This is the most boring film I've ever seen in my time. Like, even Mystery Science Theater couldn't save it. Like, I was hoping it would get really funny. It never got funny. And And that's the crime about a movie called The Robot versus The Aztec Mummy, is that the fight between The Robot and The Aztec Mummy is, like, 30 seconds long at the very end of the film, and it's like they kind of, like, push each other in this tomb, and then it's over. I'm going to say, the, that title sounds very exciting. Yeah, it sounds like, it's like, oh, this sounds like a perfect B-movie. Yeah. And then later, I, like, researched it afterwards, because I'm like, what the fuck movie did I just watch? And apparently, it's like, it's an installment in a long-running series <laughs> about about this, like, fucking Aztec mummy. And it totally made sense now, because, like, half the movie is flashbacks. And now it's like, those are not flashbacks, those are the other fucking movies in the franchise. But they just cut out bits of it to explain the plot for this one. So basically, the entire movie is is you watching the previous movies in the series to build up to the conflict between the robot and the Aztec mummy. And it, like, explains all the history of the Aztec mummy that makes this total fucking bullshit. There's, like, the only mildly interesting part is the one where... I'm sure, like, this is, like, a completely different movie that was in no way related to the Aztec mummy movies, but there's, like, it's the backstory to the robot, which is kind of interesting because it had, like, this really terrible actor playing this evil scientist making this robot... But it was just terrible. You're just watching movies building up to a, like a 30 second battle to the movie that you're actually supposed to be watching. So there's no real plot, or the little plot that there is is spread out across like five minutes of original footage. And most of that is spent watching people wandering around in a fucking graveyard looking for the tomb of the Aztec mummy, which just happens to be lying in a cemetery that looks suspiciously like a cemetery you'd find in the Midwest. Oh. 
But there's an Aztec mummy there. Yeah, there's an Aztec mummy there, right. and they bring the robot. I don't even know why the robot has to What fight. kind of robot is this? <laughs> it's a good question. It's <laughs> it's a cardboard and silver paint okay. robot. Nice. That I, I could clearly, the, the actor playing that in the robot suit could, had no way of seeing where he was, so he's okay. just kind of like stumbling around, bumping into the Aztec mummy as he pushes him. That's great. Well, you've just talked about a movie that was so boring it made you angry. Yeah, it was so, just... So I feel terrible. I I'm also going to talk about a movie that is so like legendarily boring that it makes me angry, and this is the Blair Witch Project. Hmm. Now, before I get a bunch of fucking hate mail from all you stupid people who like this movie, and I'm sorry, there's no other word for you. That may be a little harsh. Yeah, that might be a little okay. Hard. But I know I'm going to get this. People are like, that movie's so scary. It's so great. No. The Blair Witch Project is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. The marketing for the Blair Witch Project was brilliant. Those are two different things. The marketing for the Blair Witch Project was fucking genius. They actually made people believe this was a documentary. And then for the you know first week it was in theaters, people were scared by it. Now, when you remove that, and we're talking about the movie as itself, not as the experience it was for people in 1999. Mm-hmm. But the actual movie, nothing happens. This is literally a movie where nothing happens for 90 minutes. Wait, so what happened in the movie? Nothing. Oh, okay. I just want to underline that. All right. It's three teenagers. They're, they're going to go shoot a documentary about the Blair Witch. They get into the forest, and they shout the, the, the F word. They just shout fuck for 90 minutes. And then I think one of them dies. Sounds like a Transformers podcast. podcast. (laughs) Screaming fuck for 90 minutes. Ours was more coherent, though. uh, Fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. It's basically like... They, they like, they're arguing... Like, they get lost in the forest, and they're arguing about the map, and, you know, they're like... They'll, like, see a twig, and they'll be like, that twig was left by the Blair Witch! And then they'll, you know, yell fuck for 20 minutes while they're arguing about it, and then they'll get lost, and, like, they one of them loses the map, and then they, like, beat up that... They don't know... that Nothing that interesting would happen. I'm, like, making that up. But, you know, they're, they're in a tent, and then, I don't know, one of them just goes missing. Again, you don't see any of this. You just, you know, the camera turns on at one point. It's like, someone's gone missing, and then, you know, there's the moment everyone remembers where the girl turns the camera to herself, and she's got, like, snot running down her face, and she's like, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. And, and it's all these things where they're trying to tell you that stuff has happened, but nothing ever does happen in the entire movie. And then at the end, they go into this house... And you hear, like, a sound, and the camera drops, and it's over, and it's like, oh, they're dead, that's so scary, but nothing happened. And I'm also mad at the Blair Witch Project, because it started this stupid fucking found footage genre, which I think is one of the stupidest styles you can shoot a movie in. Yeah. And now, and Chronicle is uh, the latest found footage movie, it's this found footage superhero film. Chronicle is far and away the best found footage movie. The found footage aspect of it is the worst part of that movie, and if it had been made straight, I think it could have been a masterpiece superhero movie. The, it is held back by that found footage thing. Because there is no logical reason why any human being would be filming during some of these moments. Like in the Blair Witch Project, for some reason the girl keeps it on while they're just sitting in their tent yelling fuck at each other. And, you know, that is the whole movie. But, you know, Blair Witch Project made a bunch of money because the marketing was good. I've never heard anyone actually, like, list good things about the movie. They just thought, like, it was scary because the marketing said it was real. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's not what the movie is. And... 
and so this found footage genre just makes no sense to me. I've seen now that Chron- uh, this is what I was getting to is because Chronicle is really good. I've seen some people write articles saying, "Well, the found footage genre, see, it makes sense because this goes back to the literary tradition of Dracula and Frankenstein, where it's people's journals." No, it makes sense when someone writes a journal. That was mm-hmm. a practice in that time where people wrote everything they did in journals. Yeah, that was something that happened. We do not go around with cameras just filming everything we do all day. You know, mm. especially all these found footage movies are about periods of crisis. Like, I liked Cloverfield. Why was the guy filming everything they did in Cloverfield? The, the, my, my favorite part of Cloverfield was that the guy was named HUD. Yes, that, that was, was funny. That was, that was the best part of that. Yeah. So, anyway, um, and Blair Witch Project, you know, they at least try to justify it that they're filming a documentary, but that quickly becomes, you know, again, they're not, doc, they're not filming stuff you would usually film for a documentary. They're filming each other saying, fuck. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen The Blair Witch Project, but I've seen a few found footage movies, and the only one I've seen that I've liked is uh, Troll Hunter. Okay. Have you seen that? No. It's a, it's a like kind of a quirky Norwegian film, and I think it does use the the conceit of the found footage thing pretty well, because it's yeah. all about like a conspiracy about okay. trolls and stuff. But I I think just like the... I think there's either that concept could be used really well. Yeah. I don't know how, but it definitely hasn't yet. And every movie I have seen using it has been held back by that conceit. I yeah. mean, even Troll Hunter, it's yeah. like it kind of makes sense because they're trying to unveil this conspiracy, yeah. so they're trying to get as much footage as they can. But it's just, it usually ends up being really distracting. Right. And, and I think they've, they've sometimes focused too much on making... Like, I think the, the worst part of every found footage movie I've seen is the very end where they try to yeah. set up how you've... How you've seen this footage? Right. You don't need to do that. You yeah. don't. There's no reason and, to try again, to set up how you're seeing this now. I will say, Chronicle did it very, very well. I still think there are limitations. Not even that film could overcome. Like the the ending, they don't do the camera falls to the ground and someone uh, finds it. They do a yeah, really the ending of Chronicle is really cool how they do that. Um, but here's the, the other thing though is that there's no internal logic in Chronicle for how we're seeing it because it's multiple footage sources mm-hmm. and there's like one of them you see the film get destroyed early on in the movie, so you have no idea how we're finding it, you know? That's one of the things, like, I don't... I actually think they focus too much on trying to trying to get so, away from yeah. that, and then it gets distracting when, some, cause you, yeah. when something like that happens. Now it's like, oh, well, now there's no way I could have seen that. If they don't bother with yeah. trying to show how you're seeing this, like, yeah. I don't give a shit how I'm seeing this. I'm watching the movie. Right. You can use that You can use that technique to try to, to give a certain effect to the film, make yeah. it feel more realistic, but you don't need to explain away how I'm seeing this movie yes. right now. We didn't have to have a fucking chapter in Dracula about how, how now we're reading all these journals. Yeah. And that's, you know, and what Chronicle does that's creative is that the whole idea is that this, the main character, his father's abusive, he's using a camera to try to document his father's abuse so he could maybe take it to the authorities or something, Mm -hmm. and then he starts documenting, he's like a social outcast, he's trying to document his abuse at school, and it becomes sort of like an obsession for him, and it's a really interesting character dynamic, what the camera does for him, Mm -hmm. but because there are moments he's not there for, they have another character who we know literally nothing about, who also likes to film stuff for no apparent reason, like someone comes to her door and she just films for, you know, ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. And then at the end, they, I don't want to spoil it, but they have to come up with a new way to find the footage, so it's all like security cameras and like cell phone cams and it's just it's like and they have to cut every five seconds and it's so annoying but you know yeah I think we got off topic we did but the point here is that the Blair Witch Project is a terrible terrible movie alright that's the point and Sean I want to hear about your next one okay my next one this is uh, Sinbad the Golden Voyage and this is 
a movie that I'm sure most people haven't seen. It's probably it's from like either the sixties or the seventies. The one movie I really, really love that I grew up watching, and I think it's a really good kind of old school adventure type movie, is the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. And it's just kind of it's got the whole kind of Ray Harryhausen effects with the stop motion and stuff like that. And it's just a really good kind of just adventure fun adventure movie about yeah. the Sinbad goes to an island and has to save a princess and there's a genie and then like a dragon and a cyclops fight. It's awesome. Sinbad and the Golden Voyage it's it's boring. It's really boring, and it's a really, really fucking disappointing movie because there's no reason for it to be boring. You've got... I mean, you, you can do anything you want. You can have Sinbad... He, he, Sinbad's, you know, he's just kind of your classic sort of roguish hero, and then he gets to fight monsters, or he gets to have sea monsters fight other monsters, and it's just like, all you need is to have the Ray Harryhausen effects... But, like, almost the entire movie is them on a fucking ship, just on a ship, waiting for, until you get to see the monsters. And then when you do get the monsters, they're just really disappointing. It's, they, they reuse the Cyclops, and it's just like, oh, well, that's, that's great. You reuse the, uh, the effect from the, uh, the last movie. That's, that's nice for, the, like, the 15-minute climax. You don't get any sort of, like, really wow moments. No big action climaxes. No big monster fights. And it's just such a disappointing movie for me when I was a kid because it's like, oh, this is like, this literally was one of my favorite movies, still is one of my favorite movies because it's just a perfect adventure film. And the Sinbad the Golden Voids like took all of that and was like, fuck it, we've still got the ship and we've still got the Cyclops. we still got a camera. Fuck it, let's make a movie. Yeah. And that's what they did. And it was sad. I'm sorry, Sean. It was a sad day when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. You need to talk about it more. No, I think I think that's You're over it. it. It's okay. just, yeah, it's just another line in the dull movie that that could have been really fun. And I think that's the tragedy of all the movies I've mentioned so far is that they could have been really fun, yeah. and they just fucked it up. Well, you know, we've been talking about boring movies for a while. Yeah. I'm going to switch to two movies by the same director that are far from boring, but are still incredibly, incredibly bad. I'm talking, of course, of Baz Lerman's Moulin Rouge and Romeo plus Juliet. By I God, I forgot that the title for the by God, Romeo yeah, and I, Juliet. It's the, I know they do the plus. I forgot yeah. about that. Which, and of course, Moulin Rouge. It's all, it's all hip and modern. Yeah, Moulin Rouge. I forgot has an exclamation point at the end because you know Baz Lerman. The movie itself wasn't pretentious enough. They had to put a fucking exclamation point at the end of it. Now, I know both of these movies have more people who love them than hate them, but, again, I don't fathom even a little bit what people see in these. Uh, Maybe a little bit with Moulin Rouge, but not with Romeo plus Juliet. I I mean, I don't know. Romeo plus Juliet, I've sometimes described it as Shakespeare for stupid people, because, you know, if the language is too complicated for you, you can look at the bright colors in Leonardo DiCaprio's chest. So, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I... I, (laughs) Um, I just, it's like I, I've seen Romeo plus Juliet, and I don't hate it that much. Okay. I think it's, I didn't love it. I w- I'm okay. certainly never going to see it again. But it's like I, I kind of liked the idea, but I hated the execution. That's, I didn't yeah. like the style. They kind of went for like a faux Tarantino-ish type of thing. Tried it all. Well, except Tarantino, 
you know, has shots that last longer than five seconds. Yeah, it's like, but like they tried, I remember they did like a thing where at the beginning where like every time a character's introduced, it like, like freeze frames and like a cracks card comes and it's like, Mercutio! It's like, oh yes, it's Mercutio. Right. It's like, I like, I I kind of like the idea of transplanting the story into a more modern day setting, but I don't like how they handled, like they tried to make it really hip, nice, like hipster and I, I don't. I've never They're translating the dialogue. They, like they should have just like, e- like not used the same dialogue. Right. That's the problem. Is that I've I've seen all these movies. People keep trying to do it where they turn Shakespeare into modern day, but keep the dialogue. The dialogue that does yeah, not it, work. It completely you, holds the movie back because right. it, it just makes the tone really chaotic. And then it also means that you know you're never set in a real ver- like a version of reality. Mm-hmm. Like Romeo plus Juliet is supposed to be like it's like they call it Verona Beach, but it's obviously a, like an alternate Earth or something. The laws of physics don't even seem to apply at some points. And then, but like, I've seen like Ray Fine, who is a phenomenal actor, um, did, uh, he directed a version of Shakespeare's Coriolanus last year. And it was set in modern day. And Coriolanus is a fantastic play. It was filled with great actors. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave in particular was phenomenal as Coriolanus' mother. But they decided to set it in modern day. And then it's just really weird. Like, it just, they, they use the, the old language and it just doesn't work. And that is a very, dis- this, that was not hyperactive like Romeo plus Juliet. That was very distinguished, but it didn't work at all. Romeo it, plus Juliet, though, here's what I hate. Uh, you you kind of went through it all. The style is so overbearing. It just... You know, Romeo and Juliet, I should say, is my favorite Shakespeare play. I really love it a lot. And this is a case where they didn't put any thought whatsoever into what the subtext of that play is, how the characters develop. They just wanted to make a movie with bright, flashy colors and pop songs. And I have to say, the one thing that really made me want to, like, punch this movie was when they made a pun about post-haste. And it was like, it was like, like a letter. And it was like, like, it was like, (laughs) post-haste. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was fucking... Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's bad. The acting is, I'm not going to say horrendous all around. I think Claire Danes is actually a really good Juliet. And Leonardo DiCaprio, this is early DiCaprio where he was good, but not kind of the great actor he would become. Mm-hmm. Neither of them, though, are Shakespearean actors. No one in this movie is. And no one in this movie is good at reciting Shakespeare. And I don't know if that's their fault, but, I mean, that's just the style. They, I mean, even if they were, they don't have the time to do it, because Baz Luhrmann is like, you know, do this soliloquy in five seconds so we can cut away. So they have to mumble through it. Uh, Roger Ebert's review of this movie, by the way, is fantastic if you've never read it. He just talks about mumbling Shakespeare <laughs> and how terrible it is to watch, but yeah. I think one of the biggest problems with the, with the movie is that they're really trying to mix styles that don't and the problem is, like, trying to bring Shakespeare's dialogue into, like, a really fast-paced, energetic movie that they're yeah. trying to do. Like, theater dialogue is very specific. Theater's a right. very different medium yes. than film. Even Absolutely. though it seems like, oh, well, it's, yeah, it's just people talking and you can see them. And so it's, it's basically a movie. They're just on the yeah. stage. No. In, in, a, in theater, you had... Like, everything has to be spoken, because you don't get yeah. the nuance of subtle facial emotion. Everything is much more over the top, because it has to be. And so you can't just translate dialogue wholesale and speeches wholesale from Shakespeare, yeah. and then just put it into this different style without completely adjusting the style to completely cater to the yeah. language, because everything has to be about the language and, and stage play. Yeah. And so, just Baz Luhrmann did not do that. Well, at all. It's, and so the, yeah. the movie completely falls apart. Right? I, I We had to watch this in English class, and I had trouble getting... Like, I wanted... I, I thought of, like, skipping class, like, just getting up and walking out. Like, it... Thank God, like, Sean was there so we could just riff on it together. Yeah. I think that's how we survived it. 
But yeah. there, I mean, wasn't there like a really crazy like Mercutio was just insane. Yeah. Like he's like kind yes. of like a cross dresser, and they're like yeah. on acid or something. Yes. It's like what the yeah. fuck is yeah. this doing? Yeah, Mercutio's. A You're cross- like completely throwing the focus all the way off of the yeah. actual plot of the movie by doing this. Yeah, they do a being long weird for the yeah. sake of being weird. Right. It's I I hate this movie with every fiber of my being. It's bad. Um, Claire Danes looks good in it. I guess that's the. <laughs> That's the thing for men. If, you, and if, then you're, we are, if, yeah, if you're a chick, Leo probably looks pretty good. Yeah. Yes. Well, I remember all the times where Leo's shirt will just come unbuttoned magically and like show his chest. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I do remember specifically that there's like 20 scenes in that movie where with Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio just like standing on a beach with like his like white buttoned up shirt just yeah. like off, just like flowing yeah. in the wind. Yes, it's which you know at least they're being shameless about that. So yeah. whatever. Um, Moulin Rouge is even worse in my mind, and. I have watched Moulin Rouge twice in my life, and I can't believe I like this is this is shame I'm feeling admitting this. Once was on a bus to Disneyland for a musical trip, and it was oh kind of, god! If I had to see it with that audience, <laughs> yes. Oh that, Jesus! Do you, Christ, I do you feel bad for me? I would have killed every single person in that bus. I would have killed all of them. This is. This is great that you know Sean knows I didn't all the know, people. You didn't like. I know. I knew you hated this movie, and I. I don't. I haven't seen it all the way through. I've okay. seen most of it, and I really don't like this movie either. Yeah. But I think I, I, I dislike it for reasons that I can see aren't objective to the film. And it's like, can I can I give my take on Moulin Rouge and the reason I don't? And then can like I go it? to my story again? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yes. I just really quick. I want to just like me personally. I really don't like musical theater. I don't okay. know why. It's just like the style just completely doesn't gel with me. It doesn't. It's way too over the top and silly, but trying to not do over-the-top silly yeah. things, and I just really don't like musical theater. It's just me. And Moulin Rouge is like a testament to everything in musical theater that musical theater people just love and adore, and I just really, really don't like. And it's like, it's just, it's it's like the epitome of something that I don't like, but it's not for any sort of objective reason that I can clarify. Yeah. I just don't like musical theater and so I despise Moulin okay. Rouge. And, and I, I will don't say- like and I don't like the part of people that really loves the kind of stuff in Moulin Rouge, which is why I would have killed every single person <laughs> on that bus. Yes. Okay, so back to the bus. Right. I am um, let me set the scene for this cuz you're going to like this. I am not only on this trapped on this bus for 18 hours and you know all the choir girls have control of the TV. Which, you know, there are TVs, like, every couple rows. Mm. And then if the sound turns on, I couldn't even, like, put in my headphones and listen to my iPod. That's how loud the sound was. Uh, So you had to watch the movies. Um, I finally got them to watch Dark Knight at one point, but that was also at 2 in the morning when everyone was asleep. And I was like, thank God, a good movie. But no, um, we also had to watch, uh, God, what is it? It's, uh, we now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. (laughs) It was bad, it was bad. (laughs) What the yeah, but okay. I also had a broken leg on this trip. Oh, yeah. So I am stuck on this bus with a broken leg. I, you know, can barely move around. And this was a bad break. I broke three bones in my leg. Um, I had just had surgery on it. I'm on this bus. I have to watch Moulin Rouge. That is, that is like, shouldn't that be, isn't that in the Geneva Convention? You don't do that to someone? <laughs> like, even a terrorist? Yeah, that's, that's like torture. Yeah. Um, and yes, Sean knows all the people I'm talking about, and these are, you know, basically all the choir girls and, and, uh, you know, musical theater enthusiasts and all that, who were on this bus and wanted to watch Moulin Rouge, and of course they think it's the greatest thing of all time. We also had to watch Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. Oh my god, don't, <laughs> if I have, put the, I haven't seen that movie, but put it on the fucking list. Okay. 
Put it on the list. I, I, I can talk about it. Because okay. I actually do love the uh, the play, but, you know, we'll get into it. Now, then, so I watched Moulin Rouge, and I was like, this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. And I will say, I, I am not, like, a musical theater enthusiast. There are pl- musicals I enjoy. And I don't, like, dismiss the whole genre. There are musicals I enjoy. I completely see Sean's point of view yeah. on this. There are musicals I enjoy, and I still hated Moulin Rouge with a passion. And, but anyway, I, I, this is such an acclaimed movie. You know, it won all sorts of awards. It was so acclaimed. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I'm missing something. Like, I was, it was on a bus. I had a broken leg. Maybe, maybe you I was You see it missing. with, like, the worst possible yeah. audience you could see that movie. So I, I, I got the DVD, and I went home, and I watched the DVD. I was like, this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I don't know how deep I'm going to go in with criticism of Moulin Rouge because... There is an internet personality called the Nostalgia Critic, uh, thatguywiththeglasses.com, who is one of the funniest guys on the internet. Yeah. I, I can't recommend his stuff highly enough, and the best thing he has ever done, bar none, is his review of Mulan Rouge. Yeah, I completely agree. Which is one of the most epic internet productions I've ever seen. It's basically a musical review of a musical, and it's fantastic. He gets into, not only does he get into all the flaws really well, he also shows that not even the most ardent fans of this movie can actually defend it if you bring up its flaws. And that's what I loved about it, is that people just love, you know, the colors and the experience. They don't, if you, it falls apart if you point out one flaw, because that one flaw will inevitably run through every scene in the movie. Um, But I mean, obviously there's the style. Some people think the style was fun. I think that when you don't have a single shot that lasts more than two or three seconds, Mm -hmm. that's annoying. The the really bright colors, that's annoying. There is cool production design in the movie. You don't get to see any of it because they cut every two or three seconds. The songs they choose are often annoying and hyperactive. And they like, there's a four or five minute scene where they have Jim Broadbent, the great Jim Broadbent, sing like a virgin. And why? I don't know. They never explain it, but he wants to sing like a virgin. So, goddammit, he's going to do it. Um, you know, so the songs, I don't know, their, their whole idea of love, it's supposed to be a movie about love, but they don't ever define love or get into what makes love love. You know, they don't... Love, 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 love. Yeah. There's no actual, like, commentary on the nature of, of love or of romance. You know what I mean? And it's, it is well acted, I will say that, by some of the cast. Like, the side characters are annoying as fuck, but Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite actors. He's very good in the movie. He actually sells the story sometimes when the story has no business being sold. And Nicole Kidman is made to do some very embarrassing stuff that I feel bad for her about, but she is, in some moments, really fantastic. And I am a Nicole Kidman fan, despite some of her bad career choices. I think she's a pretty fantastic actress. And she does some good work in this movie. But, you know, it's it's the style of this movie is so annoying that even if it had something to say, there's no way it could say it through that style. Mm-hmm. That's that's not style over substance. That's style beating substance. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that that's that is the thing that it is complete. Like it's just it's all about the style, and that's yeah. And like that's a lot of things. Just like why I don't like musical theater that much is that the it goes. I always feel like like whenever they do a fucking song, it's like it just completely destroys any sort of investment I have okay. into what's going on. And that's just me personally. I yeah. understand that if people can connect to media that way, yeah. then. 
But here's the thing. I but think yeah, that... but this one of the problems is that the only time I like kind of admit like, okay, the musical's okay, or like I can really see how you can like this, is if the songs are written for the fucking right. musical. If it's like if it's yeah. specifically tailored to the event, and then it's like and it's like specifically core character oriented yeah. and stuff like that, I can I can accept that. Here's Moulin Rouge. They don't have they, they just use pop songs. Right. They don't. So it doesn't relate to anything specific. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is anything. even if you like musical theater, I don't know how you like Moulin Rouge because it is much worse than any musical theater, I think, or most. Like, here's the thing, like, you look at a really great acclaimed musical like Sweeney Todd or something, the music, the music is very organically coming out of the characters, the style is very consistent across the board, and it's fairly laid back. I mean, the songs are there, but they're, they feel like an org- it's not just someone explodes into, like, a virgin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with some of the other big ones, like Phantom of the Opera, there's a similar degree of that, where it's grounded in a way Moulin Rouge is not. And, you know, and then Moulin Rouge decides in the last half hour it wants to be profound. So, um, you know, the girl has to die, and he has to publicly shame her for no good reason. And, uh, again, watch the Nostalgia Critics review. He gets into all this. There are so many plot holes. Like, my God, the plot of this movie makes no fucking sense. Um, everything about it is bad, bad, bad. Uh, and I... <laughs> Is this the movie that killed modern editing? I uh, wonder because I don't know. you know there was there was a time when like I am not of the school of thought that says like editing you know in the fifties was much better than it is today. I think just because editing was more measured once upon a time doesn't mean we have to keep editing always that measured. Mm-hmm. I, I like that we can have movies now where you can have more elements to a conversation scene or something. More editing is not necessarily worse, but there is a degree where, like, with action movies and musicals and all this, where we have to have a cut every three or four seconds. Yeah. And I think Moulin Rouge was at the start of that. And it is one of the most annoying stylistic things you can do in a movie. So, you know... Again, watch the Nostalgia Critics review. It's about 45 minutes. It's one of his longest ones, but fuck is it funny. Do you remember the name of the guy who is the co-host on it? Uh, Brindle Floss. Yes, he's funny, and of course the Nostalgia Chick is always funny. So, good stuff. It's funny stuff, yes. Yes. So, Can we just move to Phantom of the Opera right now since we're... Yes, go talk about track. Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so I haven't actually seen the movie, well, like, like the new movie, yeah. but I have seen, and I am a huge fan of the original The Silent Movie, which, yeah. I, which was, I think I saw that when I was like 13 or 14 years old, and that movie is just brilliant. It's yeah. just, it breathes style, but not in an annoying way. It's just, it's perfectly paced, and it's a great... Great horror film, especially when it gets to near the end, and it's just yeah, it's a it's a brilliant brilliant movie. But the thing I despise about the new Andrew Lloyd Webber thing is that I guess it's not that new, but it made the cardinal sin of tr- making the Phantom sexy, and that's just fucked up. Okay, it's like I don't understand that approach of trying to make. The Phantom sexy when yeah. it's not a fucking it's not a sexy character. You see Lon Chaney in his makeup in the original movie. That's something you try to find make that sexy. That's terrifying. Phantom of the Opera is a horror. It's a horror classic, yeah. and trying to make that sexy is just fucked up. It's fucked up, and you just like completely ruin this really really great horror classic. By well, trying to bring it to the musical theater style and like he's trying to make him really sympathetic and all the girls love him is like, oh, he's the Phantom and he's got his like sexy half mask on. Okay. It's just Can you, it's was, disgusting. Was, was there like a girl in the original movie like that had any sort of like 
Oh, she she hated the fandom. Like, okay. she was completely disgusted by the fandom. Okay. He was, like, killing people. And it's just, it's a great film. It's, okay. I, like... I, I, I mean, like, I, I will say, I, I'm not familiar with it. I really want to watch it now that I hear you talk about it. Um, is it on Netflix? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. And, uh, anyway, you know, what I've always sort of appreciated about the musical, and I'm not as crazy about it as some people, is just, I do kind of... It's it's sort of like the Beauty and the Beast story. Not in this... I, I don't know. I never... I agree the sexiness part of it is weird. But just sort of the examination of outcasts, I think the the play does well. But, it, I mean, was was this original story a, a story about outcasts and that sort I mean, of thing, that's, it's think? part of that, but it's not... It's yeah. not trying to make the Phantom sympathetic. Because okay. the Phantom, yeah, he has the deformities, but he spent okay. his life... Basi- I mean, basically, he spent his life as an assassin and he's killing okay. people. Like, that's what the Phantom did, and then he has this okay. obsession with this woman. Okay. But it's like, it's just rephrase. I mean, I, I get, like, the outcast story. And I mean, I think it's really overdone, because we do that story, like, every two seconds nowadays. Yeah. But, like, trying to, like, like repurposing that classic, in, but not bringing the spirit of the classic... To yeah. to how you to your new modern interpretation, I just find that really criminal, and okay. I don't like it. And I here's here's my problem with the Andrew Lloyd Webber film, which is not one of the worst movies I've ever seen at all. It's it's a fine movie if you if you like the play, I'm sure you'll like the movie. Whatever. Um, they could have gone a lot darker with it within the confines of the musical. I think like that was doing film. I think you could have taken the music and then done some adaptation stuff with it and done something really interesting. But instead, it's such a tame version of it where Gerard Butler's Phantom. Uh, when they take off his mask, he there is no deformity. Did you did you know that? Yeah, it's just a, no. basically a sunburn. It's like and that's the thing. It's yeah. like it's like no, no, that like, doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah, I think you could have done something with it, and they they really didn't. It's a fairly tame adaptation. Uh, Emmy Rossum is quite good as the girl. Gerard Butler not so much as the Phantom because he can't really sing. But you know, we're we're not really talking about the movie. We're and just, then and then there's there's that whole thing about like the. Uh, the big like the ba da ba ba bum line from the like I guess yeah. it's the overture. Yeah, that's completely taken from Pink Floyd, but whatever. Okay, that's <laughs> that's just that's yeah. That was just like my random rant. I have okay. I have I haven't seen like one single. I mean, I've seen shots from the movie, but I haven't seen any sequence of edits from okay. the fan, more modern fan of the opera movie, and I have no intention to. Okay. Well, we got um, off track. We did. I'm going to talk now about. Since you just talked about something, it wasn't really a movie. But, well, I uh, talked about a really good movie and so, how people have hey, shat on it in modern years. Hey, you know what? We're yeah. talking about a good story that people have shat on? Yeah. we will go with Aragon, the movie. Yeah, that's a really bad movie. Did you see it? Yeah, oh, that would, if I had this. thought of it, I probably would have put it on my list. Well, we can share it now. Um, okay. <laughs> Aragon, the book by Christopher Paolini, yes, it is derivative. Just shut the fuck up and let me talk about why I like it, okay? Not, but not it's you, derivative. Talking. Yeah. Like, I hate people who just get, hard, you know, hard, like stuck on that. But it's derivative. Mini stories, yeah. You know what I mean, though? People yeah. do this. Yeah, no. It's a really fun book. It's just like, Christopher Paolini says he wrote it because he wanted a new fantasy book that he would like to read. I get that feeling. It's really mm-hmm. enthusiastic for the genre, and it shows love for the genre. And it's got really good, well-drawn characters and fun relationships. There's a big death in the Aragon book that really hits hard. I, you know, I think there's a lot of creativity, too. The way they treat dragons and stuff, that mm-hmm. really is creative. It's not derivative at all, um, and I and I like all of that. So, and I really love the book. I, I have not read the last one yet. It just came out. Yeah, I, um, I I kind of dropped the series after the second book. I don't like. I reread them fairly recently. I don't like them as much as I used okay. to, but I used to really love the yeah. books. Well, and again, I and think, I think they're, yeah, they're right. aimed at people younger yeah. than us at this point. 
But uh, the third one, if you ever want to go back and read it, is very good. It's too long, but after the first like 200 pages or so, it gets going, and then it gets... Sounds like people talking about Final Fantasy nowadays. It's like, yeah. after the first 30 hours, it gets yeah. pretty good. <laughs> of course, it takes us less time to read 200 pages than it does to play 30 hours of Final Fantasy. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, but uh, Aragon the movie, on the other hand, oh, yeah. oh, God, I'm struggling to think of, like, a book-to-film adaptation that isn't The Cat in the Hat that I've hated more than this. It it looks like a TV movie, for one. It's so ridiculously low-budget and ineptly, like, the production design is awful. Um, like, Safira the Dragon looks not anything like... I, she's got feathers. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it, but she looks... They made her look like a bird. Um... The acting, I forget the name of the kid they had play Aragon. He's terrible. He's just utterly terrible. He's the only person good in the movie is Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. And even then they underuse him to a you know, startling degree. And and that's sad because Jeremy Irons is a perfect Brahm in a perfect world. Uh-huh. You know, when they get to uh, the, the society under the mountain at the end, it's like three people in a little base. And that is like that is one of my favorite fantasy areas in any book I've ever read is in Aragon, that, like, land under the mountain. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's so cool how he describes it. Like, that is real It's kind of like creativity. Lonely Mountain, The Hobbit. A little bit, or but, like, but it's the Lonely Mountain. Casa Doom. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, but it's this whole society they've built in the mountain, and I like, like, how he describes the levels. But it's derivative. The, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, and then in the movie, there's none of that at all. It's just, again, it's three people. It's just, in like, a, I don't even remember all this I mean, it's like, I would just remember it started off okay for, like, maybe, like, the first, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then at some point, it just, like, goes insane. Like, it just co- it's like it's like they had maybe, like, the first 50 pages of the book. Yeah. And then they had to guess yeah. what was happening, like, based on an outline of the rest of the plot. And then they yeah. just, like, wrote a screenplay based on that. Cause yeah. No, it's, it's, it completely goes off book, but not in a good way. Like, Lord of the Rings goes off book sometimes, yeah. but to great effect. This goes off book really ineptly. And, again, it's, there's no scale to it. Like, one thing Aragon definitely has going for it is scale. This is a big journey, and there is no scale to this movie. They, like, every town looks the same. And then when Brom dies, there's no build-up or, like, you know, winding down. It's just, oh, I guess he's dead. Mm-hmm. You know, um... It's it's awful. Do you have anything else to say? No, it's just yeah, it's just one of those situations where they clearly were just trying to bank on the uh, on the name of the book, and they didn't yeah. put any any effort. I mean, it really does. It looks like they had like maybe like every everyone in the cast like like went into their couches and pulled out all the change they could, and that was the yeah. budget for the movie. I know it. <laughs> And I was so excited for this at the time, because I was, like, you know, younger and more gullible and trusting of the film industry, and I was like, this is one of my favorite, you know, at the time it was one of my favorites, and I was like, this is going to be great, it's Aragon, it's going to be so fun, and then, you know, you go in and see it, and uh, it was like ten minutes in, you could tell, like, I I remember just, this is a total nitpick, but, Mm -hmm. you know. Blue fingertips. Yes. The opening credits. Think of how they do, like, opening credits for something like The Lord of the Rings, where it's, like, grand when they put that title mm-hmm. up. And then at the end, you know, you come into Out of the Music to Directed by Peter Jackson. It's like, hell yes it was. <laughs> and it's epic. Like, they, they put that there and it has weight. In Aragon, it's like he's sleeping and they do, like, they're going around his room and it's like, you know, doing the credits in the corner like a TV show. <laughs> and, like, when it says Aragon, like, there's this blue wisp that spells out the name in, the, like, the lower left corner of the screen. And, like, there's no at that point you've lost me. If that's how you want to present the title for your epic fantasy movie, fuck you. <laughs> this is like it's like ah oh shit, we completely forgot about the opening credits. Yeah. 
It's like Bob, your your like your teenage son has like yeah. he's taking a graphics design class, right? Uh, yeah, she, give 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 him like the the first five minutes of the movie and put give him the credits. Yeah, have him put him over them. Uh, it's uh, um, yeah, yeah. Bad I I I've always wondered what would like a sequel to that look like, like when they actually have to go to like the forest of the elves and stuff. Like it would it would just like be them in Vancouver and. It <laughs> It's it, yeah. It's like they're in yeah. like some like park, and you can see the highway just off yeah. in the background. Yeah, no, it would be terrible. Um, yeah, so. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yep. Okay, you talk about your next movie. Anyways, yeah. So, Aragon was really derivative, and so is the next movie I'm going to talk about, Nine, which is a movie that you wouldn't think would be derivative, but it really, really is. This was the movie that it came out, uh, I guess, a few years ago, maybe two years ago, that it was about a whole bunch, it was about nine little, like, sack boy things, the, like, guys made out of little sacks, and they kind of, yeah, ran around a post-apocalyptic world, there's some robots, and, and that was kind of like the movie. It was basically just, and then also the entire marketing for the movie was really pathetic. Because yeah. all they ever touted for this movie was it was produced by Tim Burton. And that was it. It's like if you watched a trailer for the movie, it might show the director at like the very end, but it's like no, it's like nine produced by Tim Burton. He may have had some affiliation with this movie. It's like it was just completely pathetic. The movie made absolutely no sense. It was all about a scientist. Like this is one of the things that kind of is weird about Harry Potter that I don't like care that much about but like it's this concept of you split your soul into pieces how the fuck do you do that how the fuck like I'll, I'll accept that you can transfer your soul into another object how do you fracture your soul and not die that doesn't make any fucking sense even comic books wouldn't pull shit like that you can't fracture your and soul and we're talking about pieces. nine not harry potter yeah i know but they do the same fucking okay. thing in nine okay. they, how he f- fractures his soul into pieces Puts it into little puppets. In, I don't uh, even remember fucking why. In the because that's how they had the idea for the movie. In the Harry Potter series, I don't care that, that much. Okay, you want to know the explanation? No, there, I don't. There's an explanation. I don't give a fucking shit. You can say whatever explanation you want. It's, it's a be big portion of the book. I don't. I don't okay. care. All right. Anyways, so yeah, the plot makes no fucking sense. The whole premise. It's like someone had an idea for like a Tim Burton movie that they thought would look really cool. Is you have like the the sack boy creatures living in this post-apocalyptic world. And so they had that idea, but they had no fucking clue how to set it up. So they're like, fuck it. Uh, splits his soul up and puts it into little sack boy things. Well, why why, why would he do that? Fucking, we, we just need to make the fucking movie. We got Tim Burton signed on to produce. So, you know, we just need to make the fucking movie. So, so he does it. He just fucking does it. And there are robots there. Why are there robots there? I don't fucking know, but there are. And then the best thing about the whole movie, though, is that they have this really happy ending when, like, five out of the nine main characters die. <laughs> so you have four left, and they have this ending where it's like, and this is after all the, this is, takes place on Earth, and all the humans have been killed. Basically after, like, the Terminator, it's basically like the Terminator apocalypse. All the humans are dead. It's like you spend the entire movie in rubble. <laughs> and, like, there are all these, like, little reminders of, like, how their people used to live in this world, but everyone's dead now. Five of the nine main characters have been killed off, and you have the four left, including Elijah Wood, because he was the main main character, so you can't have yeah. him die, because he he gets the most money. 
<laughs> and so they stand there and they're burying their fallen comrades and then they're like souls. The fr- I guess the fraction of that like one guy's soul go up into the sky and then it starts raining. And it's and it's like the music and everything like Kenosi is like, oh, it's so happy because now it's raining. And then the movie ends and you're like, how is that happy? We already lost. What happens after that? Yes, okay, it rained. You've got four little sack boy things living on a dead earth. That's not a happy ending. The sad ending already happened. You can't have anything happy. It's You've got four fractions of one guy's soul running around on a planet. That's what's left at the end of this movie. But it just wanted... It just so clearly thought it had a cool sort of graphic design and kind of a cool conceit, a cool concept to run with. But then it had no idea what to do with it, so it just threw it on like a, just like a Hollywood template for a move for like an action movie. It just said, "Fuck it, we'll ship it out," and that was nine. So, <laughs> do you want to talk about stories that make no sense and Hollywood money grabs? Do you really need to segue every single one of these? Can you just bit. go into the next one? We'll go okay. into the next one then. All right, I'm sorry. I like segues; they're fun. This is X. Whatever. This is X-Men Origins Wolverine. I never saw this movie. If I, I did see it, it would have been on my list. I know. I, I know. Um, God. I, I, it, like, this is one that like hurt me so bad, I don't even know where to start. But Start at the beginning. Well, the beginning they show Wolverine pre-Civil War, and it's the whole thing is really fucking cheesy, and it's a story that could have been cool... But, alright, anyway, we're not going to start at the beginning. The film's main problem, I feel, is A, it looks like it was made for maybe $5 million. And it was this was a big budget movie, too. But who, the person who directed it just had seemingly no knowledge of how to handle a budget. Because it looks awful. Um, but, so the scale and, and all that, that's wrong. But maybe the key problem is that they completely defanged or declawed Wolverine. Or they neutered him. Maybe that's a better term. Uh, that's, he that gives me a really bad... I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, here's the thing. You look at the Brian Singer X-Men movies. What's the number one thing they got right? Hugh Jackman is a fucking awesome Wolverine. Yeah. You know, perfect casting. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he has... He's a total pussy. There's no other word for it. I mean, here's the example I always use. There's this whole story where his girlfriend dies at the hands of his brother, Sabretooth. And oh, they, bo- they made... Sabretooth is brother? Yep. Yeah, that was always kept really ambiguous in the comics. Yeah, it's very explicit in the movie. And um, so Sabretooth kills his brother, or his wa- lover, sorry. Mm-hmm. He kills his, his, like, girlfriend, and he's really mad. And he finally, you know, he spends the whole movie trying to get revenge, and he finally gets to Sabretooth's lair, and it's like... If you know anything about Wolverine, like, I don't read the comics, but I do know enough about Wolverine to know that in this scenario, he would rip everyone's throats out in that room mm-hmm. and, you know, then smoke a cigar. You know, that's what he would do, and he would have a fun time doing it. But instead, he gets there, and he finds out his girlfriend's still alive, and she had betrayed him, and he's really sad, and, like, the one tear runs down his face, and he walks outside, dejected, he's like, I'm going home. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine the, like, the one tear scene with Wolverine. That just doesn't, that doesn't compute. That doesn't even make sense. I could be imagining that, but it sounds right for what happened in the scene. And, <laughs> I mean, I want to be fair. If that isn't in the movie, I, I apologize to the filmmakers. But they gave you the impression that yes, it happened in the yeah. movie. That's almost You know, and he walks outside, and he's all bummed out, and, you know, My it's like... Yeah, and that, to me, is like, what a, like, what a total miscalculation of who Wolverine is. You know, he wouldn't do that. He would be angrier than ever at that point. Yeah. 
That's that is one of the dangers when you try to do a Wolverine origin story. I mean, they did do Origins. Marvel released a graphic novel that's really, really well done. But it's like one of the dangers of doing Wolverine before you know Wolverine nowadays is this temptation to make him a really different character and to show, oh, why is he so angry now? It's like, Wolverine's basically always been fucking pissed off. And they don't do that even. Like, they don't even do that. Like, he gets to the end and they they don't give, like, a reason, like, now he's an angry Wolverine. They don't even do that? No, they don't. Well, because he he loses all his memories. And he's, you know, wipes them clean. And that's how the movie ends. And and it's the most anticlimactic way they do it. He just, like, they have this big fight, and I'm thinking, okay, somewhere in this fight, he's going to lose his memories, right? No, at the very end, like, everything's done, and Stryker just walks up with a gun and shoots him with an adamantium bullet in the head. And it's the most, it's just, like, literally, like, they've saved things. like, yeah, and he's just standing there, and then he just, like, there's a gunshot, and he falls to the ground. And that's, that's the end of the movie. Um, that's sad. And, okay, there's a couple more minutes, but, you know, the, the couple more minutes are him waking up and not remembering anything, so. Um, Who am I? <laughs> Is he, like, in a hospital where they find some weird, just... No, they don't even do that. They don't even oh. do a big, like, angry thing with them. They, you know, they don't do anything awesome with him having bone claws in the beginning. The whole oh, sequence God. where he gets, like, the adamantium in his skeleton is completely dull. He never once lights a cigar. Like, he'll take out his cigar one or two times, but Fox wouldn't let them have him smoke, so he never actually smokes a cigar. Um, and then this is before we get into the plot is horrendously written, and it makes there's, it's full of holes, and all of the characters are obnoxious or ill-developed. Like, this is one where they, it's kind of like The Last Stand, where they just took a bunch of yeah. X-Men characters randomly and threw them in there and didn't develop them at all. Like, with First Class, yes, there were random X-Men there, but they did try to develop them as characters, and yeah. in the end, it's, like, satisfying when they, like, discover their powers. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this doesn't do anything of that. It's like they have a bunch of random X-Men for five seconds. Um, and then, of course, there's the worst thing, which is what they do to Deadpool. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, who I don't usually like, turned out to be a perfect Deadpool. He's in the movie for five minutes early on. He's got the snarkiness down. He's kind of charming, but also rogue. He's got cool powers. It's like, this could be fun. It's in the middle of a terrible movie, but I'm like, hey, if they did a Deadpool movie, this could be interesting. Yeah. He, he disappears, he shows up at the very end, and what they've done, you've probably heard of this, is they've sewn his mouth shut, and he doesn't get to, and he's basically CGI now. That's like, that's just amazing to me that they did that, because that's like the yeah. biggest middle finger you could pop, I mean, because literally, yeah. Deadpool's nickname is the Merc with, with a, a Mouth, mouth. Yes. that's his nickname, yes. that would, it'd be like, I don't know, doing Spider-Man, and then he like, he like at some point in the movie, his web shooters get destroyed, and then he never gets them for the rest of the movie. And so the web slinger yeah. doesn't have any webs anymore. It's like, yeah. you just come took, like, one of the defining character traits yeah. and just blatantly, obviously, just completely destroyed it with no regard yeah. whatsoever. And then now he's a villain, and, like, they, like, they've been, like, it's like Stryker did this to him and is, like, doing tests and, like, has stolen his powers or something. But now Deadpool is, like, extra powerful. I don't really remember how it all works out. And then Wolverine and Sabretooth have to team up to fight him. And then Sabretooth dies, which is funny because he's in the first X-Men movie. And they've, like, have just fucked up the continuity, continuity for yeah. those X-Men movies so much. I, I'm fine with just saying First Class is its own continuity, but, you know... Uh, this one does, it explicitly says, this is part of the, you know, universe. Mm-hmm. It's different than, say, First Class, which doesn't make a big attempt to say, this is the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um, this one very clearly says that. And even then, what necessity was there to tell this Wolverine story? This is what X-Men 2 was about. Yeah. The whole fucking movie, we saw the story. 
we don't need it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it gives you no insight into Wolverine's character. The action scenes are so anemic. It, like, it, they're so lame. Nothing happens. It's, it's, oh, and I remember this part. There's this, uh, it's some mutant, and he goes to see him, and he's this, like, giant fat guy. And there's blob. A, yeah, blob, but it's, it's not, they, it's, like, just kind of disgusting and, disconcerting like they don't really, there's no reason for him to be in the movie it's like Wolverine needs information and now he has to do a boxing match with Blob and I'm not making this See, up I, I, I heard about that I, I like I think I saw a video or like yeah. a trailer for the video game and that happened in the video game Yeah, and I thought that was just a level made up for the video game because that no. seems like a video game level yeah it is. Wow, that was in the movie. The, the only, That's terrible. The only mildly redeemable thing in the movie is they have Gambit in it, and he's done kind of cool, kind of like Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But again, he's in it for five minutes. Wolverine has to fight him for some reason, and then they're friends. I don't, it, it is like a video game. It's like, you know, Blob tells him to go find Gambit, and he finds Gambit, and then he has to fight Gambit, and then Gambit gives him information. And <laughs> Your you know, princess is in another castle. And then at the God end, damn it. yeah. Yeah, and then he gets, you know, to the island where he finds Sabretooth and he rescues, you know, Cyclops, young Cyclops, and then he's in it for one minute and does something with his eyes, and then they actually had the wait, nerve wait, to... Wait, did, did he shoot laces out of his eyes? Yes. Oh, I didn't and, see that coming. Then, yeah, and then they had the nerve to bring Patrick Stewart into the movie for five seconds. I didn't this even was, know that. Yeah, but they did the thing, like, remember in The Last Stand where early on they have young Patrick Stewart and young Ian McKellen? Mm-hmm. Like, they did CGI to make them look young and it looked really convincing? Yeah. Well, they tried to do it here... Basically, they plastered Patrick Stewart's head on another body because I like I think they thought Patrick Stewart was actually handicapped and couldn't stand up. <laughs> so he is like head is plastered on another body and it's de-aged and it's like the it is the creepiest fucking effect. Like it looks wrong on every level and he's he just comes to get Cyclops and put him in a helicopter. Wow. And yeah, fuck this movie. All right then. Fuck this movie. Just just fuck this movie. All right, that. you got three left. I've got four. Should I do one more so we can? Do... Yeah, you can go ahead. Do All right. One more. Um, I'm trying to pick which one of these is the least bad. I'm going to go with Twilight. Okay. All right, I'm going to talk about the original Twilight movie. Sean can't work up the same amount of hatred for it. I know. I I I saw the movie and I thought it was really funny. Yeah. So it's like I don't I don't hate the movie because I just okay. make fun of it the entire yeah. time. So I can't bring and, myself to. And I think I would be able to do that again if I watched it again. But I did this like article for my site, uh, the Twilight Challenge, where I read the book and then watched some of the movies to make fun of them. And I'll, I'll tell you, like the, the Twilight binge I had to go on to do <laughs> that may have impacted how much I hated this movie because I went into it expecting, like at a base, a competent film. Like it was a movie that was made. You know, not spectacularly, but competently. Twilight is a failure as a movie on every level of filmmaking. It is poorly shot. It is. It's got the worst acting I think I've ever seen in a movie. Um, He's got it's, yeah. like I mean, uh, was there like Kristen yeah. Stewart, yeah, the female lead? Oh, oh my god! Like her acting is so hilarious. Yeah, because she has one. Well, it's like it's. It's like she's a really good actor in a different movie where she's yeah. playing a serial killer. Yes. Like, it really is. No, like, is. if she was playing a serial killer, she would be brilliant. Yes. But it's like, 
I, I don't, there's no way she's doing that intentionally. Yeah. Maybe she really, really hates the books, and so yeah. she just wants to destroy the movies. Well, we know. Like, I have so many crazy theories about how that performance yeah. came to be, but it's well, so we, awful. We know Robert, Robert Pattinson has said he hates this shit, <laughs> and uh, he's, like, excited to be done with it, and he just does it for the money, and you see that, like, he's, that's his problem, which is he's just bored, yeah, he's, he's just checked like, out, uh, he's, yeah. Um, and, and I will say, in their defense, both of them have been in other movies where they've been quite good. Uh, Kristen Stewart, in particular, is, I think, a talented actress when she is away from Twilight. I don't blame her for being bad in Twilight. It's Twilight. You can't be good in a Twilight movie. That is impossible. She's got to be doing something intentional, intentional then. Though, yeah. Now, now that, that performance is not yeah. bad. That's brilliant. Okay. That is one of the best yeah. performances I've seen in my life. But, like, here's the defining scene of Twilight for me. Is they're in, like, the car after she finds out he's a vampire, and they've decided they're in love for some reason. No, they haven't done that yet. They're, but they're, like, they're supposed to be looking like they're in love, like they're attracted, and she just, you know what I'm talking about. She yeah. looks like she's going to throw up on him, and he's just, like, That's scared the only way that her... she can love yeah. Jonathan. <laughs> I know. Is if she throws up yeah. on him. And she never, I, I don't know if you've seen the sequel, she never changes that performance. She always no, looks like she wants to vomit. And it's just, it's the most awkward acting, it's so bad, it's, the movie's also terribly written, like I had read the book and, I hate to say this, the book Twilight is much better than the movie Twilight. It's still a terrible book, but what they did in the movie, this is the thing a lot of movie adaptations have had trouble with, is they want to include every single scene. Yeah. So what they have to do is they have to just rush through every scene as fast as they can. So this movie is terribly paced. They don't give any character development. And not that the book does good character development, but there is at least a little bit of an indication why. Like, they do explain, like, the initial attraction, you know? Mm-hmm. They get into that a little bit because she narrates the book. Here, it's just, like, there is no moment where, like, the, the attraction makes any fucking sense. And it's stuff like that. And... I will also say, this is something I had forgotten until I went back and looked at my review for this uh, this podcast. I was doing some research. Um, this has one of the worst film scores I've ever heard also, where it never fits with a single... Like, it's like Carter Burwell, who is a phenomenal composer. I think what he was doing, it's kind of like Kristen Stewart intentionally sabotaging the movie by composing like each scene. The score is so counter to what that scene is supposed to be. It just creates this dissonance that is like painful to watch and listen to. It's, oh, fuck, it's painful, but yeah. I have to say, my favorite scene in that entire movie was that it's uh, Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, they're in the forest, and I think he's, like, telling her yeah. that he's a vampire now. He does this thing where he, he picks her up, and then he runs up the mountain, <laughs> and it's, like, a one-second shot, yeah. but the effect of him running up the mountain <laughs> it's so- is, it's like his back is perfectly straight, yeah. and it's like they put, like, I don't know, like Roadrunner legs. Yes. And just like copy and pasted them onto his like yeah. torso. And it is one of the funniest effects I've seen in my life. Oh, the effects in the movie are terrible. It's so low budget. It, it's, it's not low budget. It was like $40 million. And they couldn't make it look like it cost $1 million. It looks terrible in every scene. It's got this terrible like gray scale color scheme that like, you know, it's really dark and like yeah. blue and gray. It looks terrible. Oh man, the, the writing is, I mean... It, it's hard to out bad write Stephanie Meyer, but they did it. They found a way to write even worse than Stephanie Meyer. And, yeah, I mean, I we've talked about Twilight before. I We're just beating a dead horse at this point. I just want to explain how poorly made on every fucking level this movie is. And the scene that defines it all for me is the vampire baseball scene. <laughs> I forgot about that. 
it is and like they pick a terrible pop song to go over uh, it and it's like they're it. like this is so cool and like you know Kristen Stewart is off in the corner looking like she needs to vomit <laughs> but she's supposed to be impressed by she's it she's so and, happy yeah so she's, she's so happy she's gonna vomit yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's you can't really describe what Kirsten Stewart is doing in these movies. You have to experience it. Great. <laughs> oh my god. I do want to see the movie where she plays a serial killer. That would she would win an Oscar for that, I think. Brilliant, brilliant performance yeah. from Kirsten Stewart. Um, One of the funniest movies of the year. <laughs> she could play a female version of the Calendar Killer from. <laughs> no, she could be Victor Zaz. <laughs> she could be. Batman. She could be like a female Zaz. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Uh, okay. Can I say my like one really weird piece of trivia that I just happened to know about the first Twilight movie? Absolutely. Is that the director is Catherine Hardwick, who happens to be the daughter of Edward Hardwick, who played Watson in my favorite interpretation of Sherlock Holmes, the Granada television series. That's sad to me. It's a really weird piece of trivia, but yeah. I didn't know go. that. Yep. I mean, I knew her name and I knew his name, but yeah. Catherine Hardwick also directed the Nativity Story. No, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's. She's actually directed several good to okay movies, but... Uh, like, again, no one can make a good Twilight movie, but the sequels... Sorry, the sequels are at least competently filmed. And that's what makes me not want to watch them, because right. I don't want us to watch a competently filmed No, they are, they are less entertaining. They are, like, they, they hurt you less, but that... You kind of want that pain when you're watching it, you know? So, now you're, now you're standing like Kristen Stewart. I want the pain, yeah. God, I could do the thing where, like, just talk about the story of the next movie, yeah, but where she just wants to kill herself to be, uh, never mind, fuck Twilight, you go, I want to hear your rant on this. Okay, okay, let's do, let's do Godzilla. Yeah, so. Roland Emmerich is Godzilla from 1997. Yeah, not, not Gojira, the original Godzilla movie, which, which is a is fantastic film. Fantastic, yeah. But I guess we're coming, we're, well, we're not coming full circle, because we're not done yet, but we're going back to Daikaiju movies, and just... Like, take, let's state what was it? That was it 1999 when that movie came out? Uh, 97 or 99. I, th like I think that. it was 99. I'm going to get on Wikipedia. Anyways, it was sometime around there. I mean, I was just a kid, and yeah. the Godzilla movies were some of my favorite movies. I have, like, probably like a dozen of them on VHS tape, and I watched them all the time back when VHS was a thing. And this movie was coming out. We were both wrong. It's 1998. Oh, well, she split okay. the difference. Though. Yeah. We were, both, we were both right in different ways. Yes. But anyways, so I was like, I was so, so excited for this movie. Like, this is one of the first movies I can remember really being excited for, because I just loved Godzilla so much. I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool, we're going to get a huge, big screen Godzilla movie, and it's going to be so epic and so awesome, and I remember the, uh, ad, like, all the advertisement for it. Size was, does matter. Yeah, it's like, all of it was great, the ad yeah. advertisement for it everywhere, it looked like it was going to be so fucking cool, and oh my god, what a disappointment. This yeah. is one of the, I mean, I, even when I was a kid, I didn't like this movie. To me too, I went and rented it from Blockbuster when it came out on VHS, and I was like, like my parents wouldn't take me to see the theater, and I'm like, I'm excited, this looks awesome, and then it was like, what is this? What am I watching? Why is there no guy in a big rubber monster suit? This is bullshit! Well, hell, you know, fuck it, why is there no Godzilla for 90 fucking minutes, you know? I mean, yeah, just... Ah, oh, the movie is such a disappointment on so many levels because yeah. it just it's 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 not fun. No. That's it's one of those instances where it needed to be fun. I mean, yeah. if they were going to try to cuz I mean they they I guess they were kind of trying to do an American version of the original Godzilla movie Gojira. It's that was that was a bad idea. No. 
you can't you can't translate. That film is so perfect for the time and Gojira, in which it was made. Gojira was yeah, not only the time, but it's distinctly Japanese. Yeah, it's dealing with the thing that the Japanese people were you know was on all of their minds, and it was very cathartic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, know, it is a piece of film history for that reason. This is this is a piece of shit. <sighs> let me let me can I can I say something about it? Sure. I hate the films of Roland Emmerich and the other guy who directs terrible disaster movies like uh, 2012 and stuff. So Wolfgang Peterson. He, oh, did, yeah. he didn't do 2012. He did Day After Tomorrow, I think. Anyway. Um, I thought both of those were Roland Emmerich. Yeah, you're probably right. I, yeah. I forget. Wolfgang Peterson did some terrible Yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember that. Uh, but anyway, I hate these movies so much because they are all the same fucking thing. It's there's some threat that we only see for maybe five minutes total in the finished movie mm-hmm. and they have to, you know, they have to bring in the military. And, you know, Michael Bay does this too with Transformers. Yeah. You have to bring in the military and you have to have a story with the president and you have to have, you know, the mayor of the city and you have to have the newspaper people and you have to have the scientists and all these people so the whole world can relate to this and it's, you know, it's this big deal because all these people are talking about it and this goes back to the Independence Day is probably the one that established all this. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying, all of that. Like, just tell a good story and and do something with this monster or this threat you have. They never do that. They always make it too big. And that's what this Godzilla movie was. It's a bunch of people sitting around talking about Godzilla, and you never fucking see Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla never... And then when you do, doesn't he doesn't look like yeah. Godzilla. Yeah, I, that's such a terrible, this, yeah. this, like, redesign. I mean, I, I get what they were trying to do. It's like, oh, let's try to make him look like an actual... Lizard yeah. monster, but it's like no, no. The classic Godzilla is classic for a reason. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's hokey that it's a guy in a rubber monster suit. Yeah. It, it looks better today than your fucking CGI does. Roland Emmerich. CGI I mean, does not age as well as a rubber monster suit does. That's absolutely doesn't, true. Doesn't that make you feel sad for all the millions of dollars you threw into that fucking model? Yep. I mean, how much did they spend on this movie? $130 million. Uh, Back then, that meant a lot more. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money for 97. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. This just, just like destroyed my dreams of having a good. And like, of course, there's the whole thing where they're making fun of Ebert, Siskel, and Ebert in the movie <laughs> because Siskel and Ebert yeah. didn't like Independence Day. And it's like, how petty to... can you be? You know, when you make shitty movies, you should expect people to dislike them. I'm sorry. Yeah, and throw that into your own fucking just like your own movie. Don't don't throw it into yeah. a Godzilla movie, like some an adaptation of something that already exists. And yeah. Throwing in your petty little like shit, and then throwing in your disaster movie formula and all that stuff. There's just yeah. no reason for it. It's just terrible. It, it is terrible. I. Ugh. And then there's the whole last act where Godzilla dies, and you find out she was a mother Godzilla, <laughs> and she has all her babies now. And then they have to find the babies, but then. You know, the babies, like, the, there's one egg left at the end. <laughs> yeah, they did the sequel bait, and it's like, that's not yeah. gonna... Nope. That's not gonna help you out at all. And you know what came out right after that? Uh, or maybe two... It would have been two years later, I guess. It's Godzilla, Godzilla 2000. 2000. The way and better it, movie. Yeah, and then I saw that in theaters, and that was what, probably the first real Godzilla movie I'd seen. I was like, this is awesome. And it yeah, was, that's, that's a really yeah. fun movie. Yeah, and I thought, this is so much better. And um, I mean, God, the rubber monster suit in that yeah. looks like ten times better than the, than the CGI and the... Emirates movie. Yeah. So I wanted to read you Roger Ebert's 
uh, review, uh, a bit of his review of Godzilla, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, he was parodied in the movie. Yeah. I think his reaction was funny. He says, oh, and then there are New York's Mayor Ebert and his advisor, Gene. The mayor, of course, makes every possible wrong decision. He is against evacuating Manhattan, etc., and the advisor eventually gives thumbs down to his re-election campaign. These characters are a reaction by Emmerich and Devlin to negative Siskel and Ebert reviews of their earlier movies, but they let us off lightly. I fully expected to be squished like a bug by Godzilla. Now that I've inspired a Godzilla in a, a character in a Godzilla movie, all I really still desire is for several Ingmar Bergman characters to sit in a circle and read my reviews to one another in hushed tones. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. That, that's great. Yeah, but you know, um, yeah, fuck Godzilla. Fuck the, fuck the Roland Emmerich Godzilla yeah. movie. Um, it just makes me, is, I'm really loving the uh, Godzilla Final Wars movie, which I think is still the last Godzilla movie to have come out. Yeah. Uh, they have a scene where Godzilla, they have like a little CGI monster Godzilla thing. I think it's just called Zilla. And then Godzilla just like beats the shit out of him. And it's one of the most, <laughs> cathartic, it's one of the most cathartic scenes I've ever seen in my life. That's awesome. Um, Godzilla 2000 had like an alien invasion, right? Yeah, it had like Godzilla. this big alien yeah. orca monster thing. And it like started out as yeah. a spaceship and then eventually it turned into a giant That's monster. a movie where the plot made no sense to me, but I still thought it was fun. It's like, well, it's like, I mean, the plot was there was an alien monster. Yeah. That, I think it, like, took some of Godzilla's DNA, and that's how it turned yeah. into a that monster instead of a spaceship. But it's yeah. it a whole thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, when I saw that in theaters, it was dubbed, and so, like, the, you know, there was the lip movement not it's matching. nothing but, better than yeah. a dubbed Godzilla movie. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, God, all these movies are equally shitty. All right, the next one I'm going to talk about on this list is a movie called Baghdad Cafe. You've probably never heard of it, and I feel kind of bad that I'm telling the world about it, because I hope you, you know, don't go seek this out because of me, please. It's terrible. But Baghdad Cafe, I had to watch for a class in college, and to that class's credit, that's one of the best classes I've ever taken. It was a gender, sexuality, and pop culture class, and it was a really fun discussion class, or really interesting and engaging. But... Um, my teacher, you know, bless her heart, had kind of an interesting taste in movies, and this one, she says, is one of her favorites. That's fine. You are perfectly entitled to your opinions. Baghdad Cafe could very well be the worst movie I've ever had to sit through. <laughs> um, Baghdad Cafe, I would love to be able to tell you what it was about. I really would. But I can't, because it really wasn't about anything. It basically starts with these two German people, a husband and wife, and they're in the desert. And we never find out where this is. I think it's supposed to be in Las Vegas. It's the Moho- it's Mojave, Mojave Desert. desert. But it's also That's called Baghdad. And, you know, like, Baghdad is also a desert. Yeah, so Baghdad's thought... spelled wrong. So. That's true. But I thought maybe initially, like, you know, they're in the desert and these people are German. Germany is closer to Baghdad than it is to America. I don't know. Anyway... I guess they were all talking English, so I should have figured that out. But anyway, so they're in the desert, and the first, like, ten minutes are shot entirely with Dutch angles. And not, like, like you know, just well, slightly... Well, it's a German sl- film. Yeah, it's, just, it's Deutsch angles. Yeah, but. just slightly slanted, like, angles. It's, like, totally... Like, I, I think there's actually a shot where they completely turn the camera horizontal. Well, no, that's when the cameraman died, and that's yeah. when the found footage portion of the movie ended. Right. No, anyway, so it's really annoying. They've got music that's basically, you know, for ten minutes while they're, like, they're fighting. Like, well, that one, wouldn't get annoying at all. Yeah, one person gets in the car and drives away, and then the other person gets, like, catches up, and, like, that person gets out of the car to find them, and then they jump in the car and drive. Like, they, they switch over and over again, and then eventually, like, the husband, like, leaves the woman behind, and then she has to go to this cafe... And there's this really mean woman who runs the cafe, and she's just mean to everyone. And they, there's there's all these really weird characters. And they're not weird like endearing, they're just weird. 
Like, I think, God, what's the actor? There's a really good actor in it. I forget his name. Oh, Jack Palance. Yeah, Jack Palance is in this, and he's annoying. He's, like, this weird, like, hippie painter dude. And basically, like, the the German woman stays at the, like, motel by the cafe, and the cafe's, like, totally run down. And, like, she eventually decides she wants to be a magician and is, like, showing magic tricks at the cafe. And, like, the cafe becomes successful. And then at one point, like, after the mean woman who runs the cafe finally, like, chews out everyone enough, she realizes she's mean and stops being mean. And that's su- supposedly a character arc. Yeah. Um, it's, this is one of those movies that's so bad. Like, I think you talked about a few of these where it's hard to explain what's bad about it. Yeah. It's completely dull, for one. But it's also dull in a very surreal way where there is no... Not only is it... Like, I don't mind weird. Like, weird can be really cool. But weird without any internal logic at all... That's bad, you know? People like to say Tim Burton's movies are weird. Well, Tim Burton's movies also have an internal logic that is very structured. Yeah. And that's what makes him a good director. This is just, there is no logic to it. It's really wacky. There's no, I think they're trying to do a subtext about, like, you know, creating family, like, un, you know, conventional family systems here, like, you know, because they're just all friends who hang out in this cafe. But they don't ever really get into that. They just kind of show people hanging out. Um the characters are so one-dimensional. Like, the you know, the mean lady who runs the cafe, she's just mean, and there's no arc for her. She just one day is really mean to the German woman, and she's saying something like, I think she's yelling at her for, like, playing with her kids, and she's like, why don't you have kids of your own? And then the German lady out of nowhere says, I can't have kids. And, like, and then like, suddenly it just takes this dark turn, like, she's like, and then it becomes like, and then the, the, the mean woman is like, oh. And then they're friends. And that's the arc of the movie. And... Again, it is so bad, I can't describe it without, like, you you have to sit down and watch it to understand just how bad it is. Like, it's poorly filmed, the color scheme is, like, this really garish, you know, like, blues and greens and browns, and it just looks terrible. Um, uh, it, yeah. I don't know what to say about it, it's just bad. It has no internal logic, it has no story to speak of, bad character arcs, bad fucking everything. But, at the same time... I, I put it sort of roughly at, you know, this number three spot because I don't know, like, the the other two movies I want to talk about, I have so many more, like, concrete complaints about, you know? So, that's that. I want to hear about your number two. In fact, I think I've probably heard about your number two. I think before, everyone's heard about my number two. Well, actually, it's interesting. The number, number two for me is a big number two. It's Transformers <laughs> 2, Revenge of the Fallen. You we've We've done our Transformers... Podcast. Yeah, if, if you're a new listener to the monthly stuff, on the monthly 10 last summer when Transformers Dark of the Moon came out, Sean and I did the top 10 things we hate about Michael Bay's Transformers movies, and then Sean got to do his really long rant on Revenge of the Fallen, and it and, was awesome. And we had a debate, and I like yeah. just... Oh, that's true. I, I squashed you. I, think I, I mean, can I really quickly say what I think of the movie so you can yeah. talk about it? Uh, Revenge of the Fallen, for me, yes, it's a terrible movie. I don't mind it uh, as much as other people... Um, for me, it's on par with the first one. It's just bad. I don't like them. I do like the third one, so I've kind of been able to forgive it a little bit, just because they eventually did something good with it. But like, yeah, no, too it doesn't bad. deserve just, to be forgiven. Sorry, Jonathan. it doesn't. It doesn't inspire the same passion in me as it does in you. So, but but your rants on this movie are very entertaining. So let's let's hear it. So this this is easily the worst movie I've ever seen in the movie theater, which is why it gets my number two spots. Not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it's the yeah. worst one I've seen in the theater, and. Oh my god. It's just, I mean, it's kind of like the Twilight thing where it's like, everyone hates, well, I mean, everyone that has an opinion and a brain 
hates the fucking movie, or at least doesn't yeah. think it's good. Most people right. hate it because they, they find it incredibly offensive, and it's just, it's a testament. To, it's like, it's a racist movie, it's a poorly made movie, it's a poorly shot movie, yeah. it hurts your fucking eyes at some point, because the CGI is so bad, the music, it's just, everything is just bad. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. And just, it, I mean, it takes a pretty well-beloved 80s cartoon franchise, and just, it, it, it takes a big number two all over it. It's just, I mean, I think one of the one of the scenes that still stands out most in my mind that just, like, illustrates how shitty this movie is is there's the scene where the secret Asian guy, he's on a pyramid, and then Devastator, who's, like, he's a big... He's basically a bunch of different robots that combine together to be a big robot, and he's kind of standing over him. And the guy's calling in an airstrike, and he's like, I'm directly beneath the enemy scrotum! And then you look up, and you see Devastator has two big wrecking balls as yeah. testicles. That's the kind of movie this is. It's kind of like Cat in the Hat, where it's like, why? Why did you... Where does that come from? Yeah. From Transformers? Why does that need to be there? Transformers didn't have any fucking scrotum jokes in it. Yeah. It doesn't need to have any scrotum jokes. Nothing needs to have any fucking scrotum jokes, especially when it doesn't make any sense, because it's a fucking robot. Those are testicles. Scrotum is the skin surrounding the testicles. You fucking hack. Read <laughs> fucking anatomy textbook for once in your life. <laughs> My god, the movie's just terrible. It's hey, a shit I... movie. It's a boring as hell movie because they spend half of it in the desert doing absolutely nothing. I want to punch Shia LaBeouf in the face and I want to kick oh, I, I want to kick Michael Bay in his robot scrotum. Yes. So there we go. Hey, Shia LaBeouf is not nearly as bad as his roommate in the movie. I remember the, the Spanish roommate? Stop. Who... Yeah, no, the roommate's just it's just another example of comic relief that yeah. needs to die. Yeah. Um, so can I ask you, what, what, weren't you moved by the riveting romance subplot where Sheila Booth and Megan Fox can't decide which one of them should say I love you first, and that's the entire basis for their character arc? No, I want to punch you in the face right now and kick you and your robot screw it up. I'm not... Sarcasm. Yeah, well, take your fucking sarcasm and shove it, up, shove it up your ass. Nobody nobody wants your sarcasm right now. You were hurt by this movie, weren't you? It's a piece of shit movie. It's a terrible movie. I can't... This is... And it, I think one of the worst parts about this movie actually shares a similar, similar theme with my top movie is that it got a lot of money shoved behind it that did yeah. not just got used for oh, Michael Bay dark, made, evil purposes. You know how much Michael Bay made from this movie? I don't care. There are estimates that it was up to $60 million. Well, I hope he, he donates that money for like cancer research or something yeah. like that. I know he's not. He's going to buy an explosion. <laughs> just a perpetual explosion in this house. He doesn't have sprinklers. He has explosion machines. Yeah, in his front it's lawn. just uh, all right. Yeah, fuck that movie. Uh, I'm going to talk about one that I think my feelings on it are very similar for you in Revenge of the Fallen, yeah. and this is Sucker Punch. Um, yeah, right. the Sucker Punch and then my number one are are so close. I don't know which one to talk about, but okay. So that Sucker Punch is Zack Snyder's magnum opus. You know, he worked his career up to make this movie, and along the way, I enjoyed his films. I enjoy 300 as a, you know, it's a stylistic exercise, but a fun one. Yeah. Um, Watchmen was a very effective adaptation of a great book, and just beautifully directed, and I liked the casting and all that. Very good, you know, that was, it, it seemed like Zack Snyder was headed for, like, full directorial ma- maturation, you yeah. know? He, and Sucker Punch was the first movie he'd ever written. So he's writing and directing it. This is something he'd wanted to make his whole career. It's like, this is going to be cool. It, it looked kind of like Inception, where there are multiple layers of reality. It's, you know, all-female protagonists. That's kind of new for an action movie. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. 
And then I think it took about five minutes for me to realize, oh God, what have I done buying a ticket for this? And yeah, that's that's like my reaction to Transformers <laughs> yeah. too. It's like I paid I paid money for this. My money went yes. to this. Yes. That makes me a bad person. <laughs> I'm a bad person because I've sat here and paid money for this movie. That's what I felt about Sucker Punch. Um Oh boy. I I don't even know where to start. Um I think the first thing to say about it would be that Oh, wait, what happened here? Oh, sorry. Anyway, um, I had something going on my computer just now. So, Sucker Punch is... Uh, you did it, about did, the first it, did it Sucker Punch you and your robots? It Sucker Punched everyone. It's fucking... Anyway. Uh, people have described Sucker Punch as a video game. Like, it's got a video game-esque plot. Like, they have to mm-hmm. go find this thing, they have to go find this thing. That's a fucking insult to video games. It's been a long time since video games had stories that rudimentary, for one. Like, where it's just, you have to go to this level and get this, and go to this level and get this. I think Mario would like to have a talk with you right now. Yes. Well, you know what? Mario has a better story than this. Mario has... I'm sure. I'm not going to argue that. Super Mario Brothers has better defined characters. It has better defined stakes. It makes sense. It's coherent. It's clear. And you know what? It's fucking fun. Sucker Punch is not fun for one fucking second. No matter how scantily clad the hot women are... (laughs) It doesn't matter. There's nothing pleasant about the entire fucking experience. That's like it's like with Transformers too. Everyone's like, yeah. well, at least Megan Fox was hot in it. Go, go fuck yourself. Yes, Megan Fox was hot in it. I don't yeah. fucking care. Well, here's the thing. Sucker Punch makes you feel bad about that. And I will get to the sexism in a second. Let's go back to my first point about the story. Okay. Sucker Punch, I like to describe it as having no story. Yes, technically there is a plot in there somewhere. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out what the fuck it was. You know, it... This this woman, or this girl, Baby Doll, played by Emily Browning, who is a very good actress in other things, not here, um, gets sent to a mental institution after her father, like, kills her little sister, and then she tries to kill the father. So she gets put in a mental institution, and the father wants her lobotomized. That is the only plot that is coherent, and that's, you know, the first five minutes. That sounds like an anime plot, not a video game plot. I know. Plot. So anyway, Baby Doll gets into this mental, mental institution. Is it Baby Doll from the Batman animated series? Sadly, no. Uh, that, that would have been be, an awesome movie. That would have been... No, this is just I. This is one of the things that makes no sense. Is like they they the names they start calling themselves this, but we don't know why. These obviously aren't their real names. Oh. But anyway, she gets there, and we see what I think is the prime layer of reality for all of five seconds, and then she goes into a second layer of reality, oh. like she creates this for herself, and that's where the mental institution is a brothel. Now, here's the first problem with the movie. Her escape from the horrendous reality of her life is to imagine herself being a prostitute. This is what Zack Snyder thinks is women empowerment. Well, maybe, if only she was played by Kristen Stewart, she could have pulled that off. She could have, she could have. But no. So, they're in a brothel, and then they decide they need to go another layer deeper, and I don't know what the next layer is. But basically, the brothel layer is treated as reality for most of the movie, even though it isn't reality. And, it's, it's fucking confusing. But anyway, and then so, her wife is there, and yeah. there's like a train or something. It's just Inception makes sense. That's clear and coherent. No, this is so. Anyway, they go into you know layer six or whatever, and they decide Level there's a six. yeah there's a way they can escape if they fight giant robots. <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? It's what happens in the movie. She she gets sent into okay. So here's what happened. I remember this. Carla Gugino 
is like someone at the brothel, and she like has them. She's teaching them how to dance, like strip tease and stuff. And whenever she starts to do a strip dance, she like goes into a hallucinogenic state. <laughs> This is true. This is what happens in the movie. I just can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. You yeah, know, I'm, like this is what's going to be like. Are you sure movie. you were, you didn't just like I don't know, like I don't know, have like a bad piece of pizza or something before you saw the movie? No, no, you no. Just completely hallucinated it. No, maybe you were on like alternate levels of yeah. reality. No. Anyway, so while they're doing a strip dance, she falls into this weird like hallucinogenic state where she meets this. She like is suddenly in like this sexy samurai skirt outfit thing. I don't fucking know. And she's got like a samurai sword. And she goes and talks to this old man who tells her that there's a way to escape from being lobotomized if she finds four magical objects. Um, but first she has to fight two giant robots. So two, this is like in an old samurai like village. And then he gives her a sword and two giant robots come in and she has to fight the giant robots. And then she gets back to the brothel layer of reality. And now she has to get her enlist her friends to go find these four magical objects, and it'll be stuff like a key and a map or something. So, like to get the map, it's like in the, or like the key would be like the guard of the mental institution has the key, but the guard, of course, in the brothel layer of reality is something else, like a client or something. Sounds like you watch a super fucked up version of Dora the Explorer. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. And anyway, so like so when they imagine they're going to get the key, they decide to imagine it as if they're doing this elaborate action sequence, and suddenly they're in the trenches of World War One. but the villains are... Giant robots? Giant Nazi robots. Oh. So it's like World War Two in World War One, but in this, like, heightened reality that's all CGI, and there's a dragon that comes in, and they have to fight all this stuff, and, like, you know, they, they... And then they get the key somehow, and I don't... Like, this is the thing. The whole movie, these set pieces, there's four set pieces for each one of the objects, and those are the big action sequences, and people will point to that as being, like, at least those are visually inventive and stuff. Well, to a degree, I suppose that's true, but there's no internal logic for why they're there. They just are. You know, yeah. they just are, and it's it's so stupid, and they apparently have to do this to get the key. They, they couldn't just go up and like take the key. They have to do this. You know, they have to fight a dragon in the. Well, yeah, they have one. to fight the dragon robot scrotum monster. Yes, and then, but through all of this, it gets even worse in the end. There's this one character played by Oscar Isaac, who Oscar Isaac then went on to do some really good movies like Drive. Um, so, but but in this movie, it's maybe the worst screen performance I've ever seen where he's, like, the warden of the hospital or something, and he just, it's, it's, chewing scenery doesn't even do it justice. It's him, he like... devouring scenery? Yes, he was, uh, yeah, dev- like, killing scenery puppies and devouring <laughs> them, and it's just, he'll, he'll be, like, you know, going, like, he'll be really quiet, and like, well, if you escape, then I'm... You'll get, like, and you can't understand him, and he'll be yelling, and... And anyway, so there's all this stuff with him, and in the end, like, it turns out in the main layer of reality, he's, like, been selling them for sex or something, like, when they're drugged, but that, like, that never comes up until, like, the last five minutes of the movie. And so, like, her, and then, she was hallucinating sex with yeah. being giant robot dragons? I don't know. I that's don't that's know. really deep. And then... I mean, that symbolism, and then, that just, like, hits you. And then John Hamm from Mad Men appears for all of five seconds, and at that point, what I started doing was, in the theater chair, I was just rocking back and forth, being like, don't you ruin John Hamm for me! This is one of the greatest... TV actors, and why is he here in this terrible movie? And he's like the lobotomy guy, I guess, and that's all he does. And then basically, what happens is all the main characters die at one point or another, and then the Emily Browning character, the main character, she dies, but then before she dies, she says to the other surviving character, she says, This was never my story, it was your story. And then, like, she dies, and it's like, Now this person's the main character and starts narrating, and it's like, 
they, they abandon the arc of the one character who was central to the story, and now it's like her story, and then she gets on a bus, she like escapes the mental institution and gets on a bus that's driven by the old man from the hallucinogenic dream, and... Oh, see, all I have to do to show how this movie is bad is describe it. I, 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 I even question whether or not... like I, Now I actually kind of want to watch the movie just to verify whether or not it's, it's, it is that. Because I can see a good movie there if you cut out all the shit about, like, robots and yeah. fighting. No, I think Like, that... if you get, like, something where you actually, I don't know, used, like, you had symbolism. Like, yeah. actual symbolism. there is no symbolism, no. And, and then, of course, there is, and I don't want to get too deep into this, it is a ridiculously sexist movie. I'm sorry. It's misogynistic to a disturbing degree. Um, that the whole thing is, you know, this is female empowerment. Like, they're fighting for their freedom. Why are they doing it in skimpy outfits? They're like, all of them are basically wearing a bra and panties for the whole film. But this is like their illusions. Why are they imagining themselves as this? You know? Mm -hmm. There is no reason except that they, you know, Zack Snyder wanted to have a bunch of hot chicks in bikinis in his movie. Fighting robot dragons. Yes. And it's, it's just Zack Snyder whacking off for the camera for two hours. And it's... It's fucking disgusting, the whole movie. And it's hard. It's, it was the first movie where I was harsh enough to actually just say F. And I, I wanted to give it an F minus. <laughs> but I, I was ultimately persuaded that that's not a real letter grade. But, you know. How, I guess I it's know. true. It's not a real. I mean, it's your fucking system. You it is. I know. Movie. That's true. I should have given it an F minus. You should have given, given it like a zero. You should have yeah. just said fuck, fuck all those. Zero. Yeah. But, you know, um,. Man, it hurt me to watch. And, you know, at the very least, I will give Zack Snyder this. He is a competent visual architect. The movie, the cinematography's good. The special effects are fine, whatever. None of it makes any sense, though. And, like, people want to forgive it for because of that, like, it's a good visual experience. I don't care about that. You yeah. have to have a story. You have to have characters. You have to have something worth making those action sequences worthwhile. And there is none of that. Um, apparently there's a, the, the Blu-ray has like an extended cut that's like 20 minutes longer that apparently makes the plot make sense more and stuff. I'm, I'm not going to sit through it. I just won't give it that chance. I mean, it sounds but like. There's no way to salvage yeah, it. Yeah, it just, think. it definitely sounds like, like, yeah. there's no, you can't just add footage to make that better. It's like the very, yeah. the very conceit of them going into that other yeah. world and fighting robots just kind of destroys the whole yeah. and it's, point. Because you're dealing with. I mean, I think I mean I haven't seen the movie, but it feels like it's just like they're dealing with an issue in a very like a very serious issue yeah. in a very bad way. They like are. They're trying to like kind of just like be yes. flippant and like comic booky about it. Yeah. It's like no, you can't you can't do that with sexual abuse. That's not no. that's not cool. And the yeah, that's absolutely correct. That's the misogyny I was talking about. And then the music is terrible. It's all these really bad pop songs that like score the movie. And I mean, Zack Snyder used to be good at that too. Like Watchmen, I love the song selections in that that they did. I mean, they're all period specific, mm -hmm. and some of them are sourced from the the book. But you know, he has like I still like the use of Hallelujah in the sex scene. That's, that's was one of the ones I, I was going to bring, but okay. I don't think that okay. like that's that's one of the ones where Zack Snyder shines through a bit too much. Okay, and, and I agree. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's I, it's funny, but it shouldn't okay, be yeah. funny. I I understand. That's you are correct about that. Um, but you know, pretending for a moment that that's you know, that that doesn't undermine the theme of the scene. On a pure surface level, he at least picked a song that kind of worked. In, you know, there was something there. Yeah. You get to Sucker Punch. It's like, did he just turn his iPod onto a random song here? It's terrible. And, you know... We ran out of budget it, to hire a composer. Quick, it, use the shuffle. 
before this movie came out, I was thinking, Zack Snyder doing Superman, that could be interesting. I no. am so worried for that movie. Yeah. It, there is... To my mind, after he did Sucker Punch, there's no way he can make a good Superman movie. I'm sorry, he just he's I mean, just it. I mean, I, just the style. Just I mean, yeah. it might end up being a good movie, but as far as I can imagine it, the yeah, style just, just does not make sense for Superman at all. No. And you know, maybe he could tone off or tone down his style for the movie, or turn it off, or do something different. I mean, David S. Goyer wrote the script. He did Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. I'm sure it's a good script. I think they've cast it quite well, but. Just that's how bad Sucker Punch is. It's made me lose faith in an unrelated project. Although, okay, now we've got a random... This is like a Blue Fingertips thing, but with okay. the uh, Man of Steel Superman. Yeah. Have you seen the Man of Steel Superman costume? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of... I just think it's like, it looks really off. It does. Because it, they don't... They didn't... I actually find... Like, the New 52 Superman has a redesigned costume where he doesn't have the uh, the kind of, like, the red outer, like, trunks yeah. that he has, like, the shorts... And I'm kind of fine with that, because I always thought they were a bit hokey. But I don't think, like, you need to take them out. I think it works well yeah. with them, but you can make it work well without them. But they balanced it out by having, like, a red belt, and the blue's a little bit brighter. The Man of Steel one, like, the blue is really dark. It almost kind of looks like uh, Mystique's skin in it the X-Men movies. It has a weird it's, texture. That's yeah, it's got, like, like, this weird texture, and it's this really dark blue, and he has no belt. He has no, like, red shorts on the outside of his costume. I thought the costume in Superman Returns, personally, struck a really nice balance between realism and Yeah, that one was perfectly fine. Yeah, that was, I wish they would have just reused that. I yeah. mean, if they had gone with the new 52 redesign, I would have been fine. If you don't want the red trunks, but it's like, you need to do something. You have to add some element to his waist, or else it just looks yeah. funky. But we're completely off topic now. Yeah. Well, hey, as long as we're talking about Man of Steel, I also think the title of that movie is fucking stupid. Yeah, they tried to do like a Dark Knight thing without having the first movie to just But even, even then, Superman isn't... I feel like he's not referred to in that same way. Like, Man of Steel is a description of his strength. Dark Knight is also like a thematic thing. You know, that they mm-hmm. work into that. There's no way, there's, you know, you're not going to end Man of Steel with, you know, Lois Lane doing a speech. Like, he is the Man of Steel. Done, like, done, You could. Done, and then also, like, you could do, done. you could. But now, I mean, but Superman's better for that, because now you can have a movie that's like the last son of Krypton. Yeah. Movies, like, he's the man of tomorrow. You could do those. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree. Like, just Man of Steel is a bit funky. But but they, I, can you come up with a good title that alliterates with Superman that would justify an origin story because I mean you've got Batman Begins that title writes itself Superman Starts <laughs> it doesn't have like quite the right ring to it does it Superman Segways <laughs> um, speaking of Superman just kidding no uh, Sean wanted me to do my rant on my last movie on this list before I get to uh, his last rant because his rant is going to be big and epic and probably very entertaining mm-hmm. um like I said, I couldn't quite decide between Sucker Punch and this next one. But I, I ultimately put this here because I've hated this movie for so long, and I feel like I need to do it justice by, by putting it at the top. This is fool's gold. Now, you've probably forgotten this, because you probably didn't go to see it. And if you did, you're a more whole person than I am. You have a soul that is more intact than mine. I was dragged to this by my mother. And I love my mother to death, but I have never let her drag me to a romantic comedy or, or one of those movies again. Like, I will sit her down on Rotten Tomatoes and be like, look at this, Mom. You don't want to do this to yourself. And sometimes she gets mad at me about that, but then I just say, you took me to Fool's Gold, and she'll be like, I'm sorry, son. I'm so sorry. And like a single tear where yeah. we roll down the cheek, she yeah. puts her hand yeah. on your shoulder. It's like, 
I forgive you. So, it's... No. Okay. Fool's Gold stars um, jackass extraordinaire Matthew McConaughey and actress who is normally perfectly pleasant but terrible in this movie, Kate Hudson. And a bunch of other people who are really fucking annoying and then in a really sad, sad, sad death of a career, Donald Sutherland, who is the captain of a ship who takes them on a journey for treasure and embarrasses himself for two straight hours. And it's okay, Donald, we forgive you. Mm. Um, I hope I hope the same never happens to Keeper. Anyway, uh, yes, so Fool's Gold... I just kind of, like, just mental flash of Jack Bauer in yeah. like a romantic comedy. <laughs> that would be awesome. He just comes in at the end and tortures the two <laughs> leads. Yeah. All right. Um, and I, and I, the other reason yeah, I have... Is, Jack, Jack, you have to get to the airport before she leaves. Damn it, Chloe, I'm running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Anyway, um, Fool's Gold. The plot of this delightful film, if you've never, if you didn't see the trailers that were probably like aired twice before every movie when that movie yeah, came out. Yeah, that's the only reason I remember this, because yeah. I remember those trailers were everywhere. And they used the song, um... They used the... Uh, uh, yeah, it was by the police. It yeah. was... Message in a Bottle. Message in a Bottle, which... I love that song, that's and now when song. I hear it, it's like, I have to think about Fool's Gold. Anyway, Fool's Gold... Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson are two lovers, except now they're divorced or something, and so they have a sort of, you know, rivalrous, you know, relationship. Like, he's a professor, I think, and so, yeah, Matthew McConaughey is believable as a professor, and she's a woman, I don't know, she does stuff, and they flirt and shit, and then it turns out one of them has, like, a map to buried treasure or something, and they decide to go look for treasure, and... To be honest, I don't. I don't have as much to say about this one as Sucker Punch because Sucker Punch is so much fresher in my mind. Mm-hmm. But every fucking single simpering, stupid second of this shitacular movie pissed me off actively, and like the characters are just detestable. Every one of them, except Donald Sutherland, who's just sort of in the background. They're all detestable. Like Matthew McConaughey. Is Matthew McConaughey? I hate him so much. I hate him so much. He has never played a likable character. He just he's, he's an asshole. That's all he can play. You can write him as the nicest guy on the planet, and he comes across as an asshole, because God damn it, that's who Matthew McConaughey is. And I just hate him. And then Kate Hudson is just supposed to be like the, you know, you know, uh, strong-willed, you know, girlfriend who's like, you know, quirky and like smart and stuff, and she just comes across as a total bitch. And they like they're perfect for each other because they're both terrible people. But, you know, all their flirting is so poorly written. And I, you're, you know the kind of movie I'm talking about, yeah. where it's the two leads are really annoying and they, you know, flirt for two hours and have sex on the beach or whatever else. And there's supposed to be, like, action sequences. Like, you know, there's, like, these other, like, rival treasure hunters who, like, are rival professors. It's... Uh, and then they, they come to take the treasure and then, like, they get tied up, you know, underground and they have to escape from dynamite or something. And it's terrible action sequences that are very poorly directed. And... You know, there is really no chemistry between the leads, but we're supposed to believe there is. The plot makes no sense. This, like, hunt for the treasure and all the, like, MacGuffins they have to go through to get to it. And then, uh, just, I, I, there's, the the thing I remember most strongly about this is that for some reason, like, Donald Sutherland is, like, the ship captain who, like, takes them to this island. And then his daughter or niece or something is there, and she's this, like, supposed to be, like, this, you know, dumb blonde. And it's probably the most offensive thing anyone has ever said about blonde people <laughs> in the history of the world. Because she is just this, the, the, like, the ditziest dits, and 
not in sign of a funny, charming way, in the, like, God, please take away my hearing so I don't have to hear her voice anymore kind of way. And they, they devote at least 20 minutes in the first act to her and, like, on the ship just making fun of her and stuff. And it's, that's what I remember most strongly because it was so painful. I got up, walked out of the theater, and I just had to do laps around the audit, like the, the cineplex, until I could find the strength to go back in. And I go back in, and they're still spending time on her. And Donald Sutherland is being really creepy around her. And it's just, oh, God, it's bad. Moreover, though, Fool's Gold represents the genre that I feel is the worst film genre in modern filmmaking, and that is the romantic comedy. There at least in terms of the like genre conventions, there are no good romantic comedies. I'm sorry. There just aren't. You have ones that kind of break the mold and do something else like 500 Days of Summer that are very good, but I wouldn't call that a romantic comedy because the, the ultimate focus is on other things besides just men and women being terrible to each other until the end where they find out they are in love. And it's just That's like the best description of romantic comedy I've ever heard. Isn't it true, though? Yeah, it's two and a half hours of men and women being terrible at each other until they find out they're in yeah. love. Yeah, and it's... I just think the romantic comedy genre is so hateful to women and so hateful to men and just to humanity itself. They're never funny. They're never well-written. They're never well-acted. They've been the bane of many actresses' existences. Like, you know, God, poor Catherine Heigl, who once had dramatic, you know, p- potential, is now the queen of terrible romantic comedies, and her career's basically over because of it. Jennifer Aniston had so much promise coming out of Friends, and I don't know how she survived this long making terrible romantic comedies. But, you know, I, I just hate that genre with every fiber of my being. I, there was a movie, Crazy Stupid Love, last year, which everyone else was like, this is great, it breaks romantic comedies, you know, genre, conventions and stuff. No, it doesn't. Crazy Stupid Love is just as bad as Fool's Gold. I didn't put it on here because I'm so sick of the hate mail about me hating that movie. But, you know, I just, they're, they're hateful movies. They're, they're comedy that pander to the absolute lowest common denominator. And more than that, I don't like what it says about film and women in saying that if we're going to program to women, we have to do it as the most broad, pandering, stupid shit. You know, women enjoy good film, too. And there's no reason why you can't center good films around women for women. And that's, you know, that's why Bridesmaids, so, like, I think that was a very good movie. I don't think it was as good as some people said, but I understand why Bridesmaids was such a big cultural phenomenon. It was the first movie, you know, comedy in years targeted towards women that wasn't hateful or stupid or poorly written. It was a really well-written, character-driven comedy. And, you know, it succeeded because of that. But Fool's Gold, to me, is the worst romantic comedy I think I've ever seen. And I don't think it has the same sort of hateful gender things like Crazy Stupid Love or some of those others I mentioned. But it is just so bad and so hard to watch. And I hate every moment of it. And, you know, it sums up a lot of the films I had to watch back during that Colorado Kids era. Um, I mean, if I wanted to, I could get into all the Hilary Duff movies I had to go see. And I would probably, like, just collapse from, you know, lingering hatred. But... I know none of this is as bad as the movie Sean's about to tell us about. And I feel for you, Sean. We're, we're all here for you. Hate. <laughs> Let me tell you how much I hate this movie. There are 367.44 trillion cells that make up my neural complex. If the word hate was engraved on each nano-angstrom of those hundreds of trillions of cells, it would not equal one one billionth of the hate I feel for that fucking
fucking movie in this micro instant. For after last season? Hate! Okay, okay. We need to, I need to explain how the fuck I watch this piece of shit. There was a time in my life not too long ago where I, this was when I was really, really into Mystery Science Theater and I, was, I wanted to watch all the really shitty movies that were fucking hilarious. So, you know, I went off and I watched Sharktopus and I watched The Room and I watched Troll 2 and they were fucking hilarious. And then everyone is pointing me to this movie called After Last Season. And they're like, oh, this is, this is like Troll 2. This is so terrible that it's fucking hilarious. You know what? No. They, I mean, I, I, I get it. I like those. There's like, there's like, there's, there are movies that are terrible. There are movies that are so terrible that they're funny. And then there's movies that are so terrible that they go beyond being so terrible they're funny that they're so terrible that they are evil. <laughs> it goes beyond any sort of value judgment and creeps into the realm of ethics and morality. It is is an evil movie. It's an evil product. It exists for an evil purpose. It exists to just to just coax the greed of man. That's the only reason this movie was fucking made. So I went and everyone was pointing me to this movie and I was like, okay, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's, it looks pretty shitty even for like these movie standards. Like it doesn't look like it's going to be that much fun. Not much fun, but I thought, fuck it, I'll give it a try. So I found the movie online. I didn't pay anything for it, and that's the only reason I haven't killed myself yet. <laughs> I didn't pay anything for it. I pirated it, and it's the happiest thing I've ever... The happiest decision I've ever made in my life is that I pirated it. This fucking piece of shit. I, I contributed nothing to its creation. <laughs> but I pirated the movie, and I watched it, and it scarred me. That fucking movie... It, okay, it starts off with... Just to be really clear, I don't know how much you've said the title. This is called After Last Season. After Last Season. Okay. It doesn't matter. The title's not... not well, I want people to know what movie you're referring to. Just, in just but like, I mean, the title has nothing... I know. I don't even know why, how they picked that fucking title. We'll get to that. I think, okay, I mean, if you look at the title, if you look at it, the, the letters that reoccur the most also happen to be the letters that spell out Satan. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> That's completely true. <laughs> You, that's true, right? You see that, right? Yes. It spells out, if you take the letters that occur the most, it spells out fucking Satan. That's why they picked the title. It's Okay, so it's after last season. I do have to warn you, though. Do not, do not make my mistake and think that people saying this movie is so terrible that that means it's funny. Do not do that. Do not watch this movie. Do not seek this movie out. Do not try to watch it. Do not try to do anything related to this movie. Just don't. Don't. Don't even try to like. Don't even watch the fucking trailer because that will that will suck a piece of your soul out. Just yeah, watching I, the fucking. I trailer. can attest to that. It's so terrible, and so the movie. I, I can't. Don't even know how much I can explain the plot because it doesn't make any fucking sense. But it starts out where you have a bunch of doctors in a pink room. That's obviously some some family just had a baby girl and they redecorated a room and painted the walls pink, and it just looks like it looks like a little girl's room. And they're pretending that it's a hospital room, and then they have a bunch of cardboard boxes stacked up, and they have MRI written on the side of it, and it's supposed to be an MRI machine, and there are people talking about the results from this fucking MRI machine. And so that's like the first ten minutes of this movie, is just people in a pink room standing next to a pile of cardboards talking about fake MRI reports. And that's, that's the, like the first ten minutes of the movie. Once it gets past that, it never those people are never seen again. What they say is never referred to again. The first two minutes of the movie were completely fucking pointless. They completely wasted my time, and they were the best ten minutes of the movie, because at least the MRI <laughs> machine thing was fucking funny. 
But so after that point, and I think it kind of the MRI thing maybe a little little bit relates to just they get into this weird psychic type stuff. So I might probably wasn't paying enough fucking attention because I couldn't really understand what they were saying because the sound quality is absolutely horrendous. It's so hard to tell just what the fuck people are saying. And if you do make any of it out, it doesn't matter because it's delivered about as poorly as you could possibly deliver a line. And the line, it just... It's like people pissed on a piece of paper, and that's how they wrote the dialogue. <laughs> so that's how they wrote the fucking movie. But after it cuts away from the MRI machine, you go to this, like, abandoned... I don't even know how to describe the fucking set that makes up the rest of this, like, 80-minute movie. It's like an abandoned warehouse, and there's just, like, shit strewn about, and there's, like, this one area that's kind of blocked off and has, like, kind of, like, these half-destroyed walls, and that's supposed to be one, like, that's supposed to be a completely different area of the city, and they spend, like, ten minutes in there with one character that's our main, our female lead, and then, like, these two other people who are their friends, and they're talking about shit that never comes up again in the movie, vaguely setting up the premise of her, of the woman going to a college, and she's going to go take these psychic tests. So there's another ten minutes of the movie in this just, like, dingy little warehouse place that's supposed to be a fucking apartment. So I guess none of these people... All these people must have been homeless because they couldn't have shot in their own <laughs> fucking rooms. They have to go to an abandoned warehouse, like, section off an area and use that to be an apartment. And then the rest of the movie is she goes to this... It's supposed to be a college. It's just the rest of the warehouse. It's, like, completely opened up. And then she sits at a table, and there's another guy, and he sits at the other end of the table, and then they talk. And they talk about shit, and you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's something revol- something involving some sort of serial killer. And that's supposed to be the plot of the movie. There's something serial killer related going on, and they're doing psychic tests to determine something relating to some sort of serial killer somewhere that you... Every occasionally will get a brief glimpse of what I guess is supposed to be the serial killer's point of view, where he's going into this house, and the camera moves at, like, half a mile per hour, and you hear someone breathing really heavy as they go through someone's house holding a fucking camera. And that's supposed to be building tension. You don't know where this house is. You don't know... You find out later it takes place back in time, but you don't know that, because they don't establish fucking anything. You still don't know where the house is. So... This movie, so the rest of the movie is made up of these two people sitting at this fucking little table while they sit in this big warehouse and they sit so far away and the warehouse is so huge and their sound design is so bad you can't make out fucking anything. And the worst part is, in the background, and I swear to God, this is fucking true and it is why we use the sound effect at the beginning of this episode. I swear to God, you can multiple times throughout the fucking movie clearly make out in the background someone flushing a fucking toilet and they didn't edit it out they didn't decide let's take another take or like get John off the fucking toilet (laughs) get him over here whoever's supposed to be directing this piece of shit get him to stop taking that piece of shit and put his piece of shit over here so we can film it because that's what this fucking movie is I mean how incompetent do you have to be of a filmmaker to leave a toilet flush multiple times in the background audio of your fucking movie that's unbelievable. That's that's so bad. 
That is, I mean, you have to do that intentionally. You have to intentionally say, we're going to leave that in. We're not going to try to do anything to it. They're not going to try to hide it. It's more clear than the actual dialogue you're supposed (laughs) to be listening to in the movie. So you're constantly listening to someone who's probably got diarrhea (laughs) flushing the fucking toilet behind the set. And and calling it a set is being really generous because it really is just an abandoned warehouse. But these people spend the entire movie sitting at this fucking table talking about some sort of psychic experiment. And there's like this like box in between them. And so eventually the woman's like, okay, I'm going to take the psychic experiment. And he's like, okay, we're going to do that. And so their psychic experiment is to go into this white world of CGI. <laughs> but it, it's CGI in the same way that like the first Star Fox game was CGI. This is this is not a world inhabited by, you know, well-designed animated creatures. This is a world of just sharp polygons. If you if you took the original Super Smash Brothers and you cut off Link's nose and threw it across the screen, that's what the graphics look like. It's just <laughs> fucking triangles floating against a white background and you have no idea why. And I swear to God, there's a there's it felt like it was an eternity. But I think it was about three minutes of a fish. It was a red it was supposed to be a red fish. It was basically a diamond a red diamond with a red triangle stuck on its ass with like a blue dot at the front of its head. And it was like it was floating through this just arbitrary grayish white space for like 3 minutes with no sound whatsoever. It was completely fucking quiet. And then eventually these like rough spheres start popping up out of the ground and you realize that's supposed to be coral. And so that's happening for a while and the fish is just it's just floating through the gray void with no sound whatsoever. Completely no context. No idea what's going on. I spent 5 minutes of my life watching some fucking graphics design freshman. These fucking project that he did for like the entrance level design of his freshman class that's what i watched for five minutes of my life can we give the listeners some context just so they they understand how shitty this is when was this movie made oh my i think it was like two years ago yeah 2009 this was so so i i like i can understand like maybe if you thought this movie was made 20 years ago that's why the animation is so bad no 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 this was made after you know wally yes it was it was i mean Fuck, I have no idea how to design graphics. I could make more compelling graphics on fucking PowerPoint than what they had in this movie. And so... (laughs) God damn it. I mean, I cannot even express how long... I I feel like I lived a lifetime just watching that fucking... I have nightmares about a red fish. I want to find all the red fish in the world and kill them. Kill all of them. Because if I see one just like out of the corner of my eye, I'm going to go insane. And just I'm just going to jump off a building or something because I cannot handle... It's just... It's pathetic. And they're like little like white spheres were supposed to be bubbles that just slowly float up in the dim gray void with no sound whatsoever. And the red fishy floats away slowly, slowly. I watched that for five fucking minutes. And then it cuts back. And you know what it cuts back to? Yes, it cuts back to the people in the fucking warehouse, and they talk dialogue that you can't understand what they're saying, and if you do make out any lines, you don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's something about a serial killer. They're performing a psychic experiment, which they say like five billion times in the fucking movie, never explaining what the fuck the psychic experiment's supposed to be. And then, and then, and then it cuts back to the fucking gray void. But this time there's no fish. Apparently, apparently whatever the gray fish thing was, 
that was like that was just a primer for the these are the real graphics these are this is like now they've like solidified their psychic experiment the woman's ready to delve into her psyche for whatever the fuck the reason is that they're doing this there's a serial killer somewhere so it has to be something with this woman and so they do the same graphics to make a person and this is <laughs> And they're not any better. It's like a bunch of blocks stacked together with a sphere on top, and that's supposed to be a person. And they just walk through a gray void for like ten minutes. It's even longer than the fish thing. And nothing happens. You just watch this weird little shitty graphic design thing walk through nothing in complete silence set against a gray background... For like ten fucking minutes, and there's new, there's no context for it. You have no idea what the fuck's going on. There's just nothing. You don't know who this like random person is supposed to be. You don't know how it relates to the the woman. You don't know what the fuck the psychic experiment is. You don't have no idea why the fuck the psychic experiment takes the form of like an N sixty four graphic once you've like vomited into the fucking processor because that's what it looks like. Yeah, I saw the trailer and it had some of those graphics in it. And I was so like N sixty four is way better than that. Yeah, this is you have to you have to vomit and probably yeah. piss into the processor for it to <laughs> generate graphics that terrible. Yeah. Uh, and then and then I mean I'm I'm blowing through this so fast, but it's I mean I would have to I'd have to spend hours just talking about <laughs> that one sequence to truly do justice to how dull it was. It's the most boring thing. I've ever experienced in my entire life. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me, is watching this movie. It, it's the worst thing. And it's like, it was so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. It's like, it just entranced me. And it's just like, I was just like, I can't, I can't move. I just can't, there's nothing I can do right now. I have to sit here and subject myself to this torture because it's so evil. I can't, I just, I can't not do anything about it. It's just, it's so evil. It's like divine. It's like Satan just like grabbed my eyeballs and glued them to the screen. I couldn't look away. And so then it cuts back. You, I mean, I think something happens where the fake guy stabs another guy. And it's like, oh, it's like the serial killer thing we're cutting to. But we have no idea what the fuck it is, what it has to do with anything we're talking about. And what relation it has to do with this, the setting, the time, the, the characters, anything in the movie we're watching right now. We have no idea what the serial killer is supposed to be. So it cuts back. And everyone acts like some great big revelation has just been dropped. It's like, oh my god, there was a, a killer and he did something. It's like... It, you, you people, you've been talking about the fucking serial killer. You know there's a serial killer. I don't know why you care. I don't know why you've been conducting the psychic experiments, but I guess you found out something significant in your fucking claymation project. So, so then, there's this, there, there. Okay, in the warehouse, there are these, like, series of boxes. And one of the boxes, one of the boxes moves. And it moves because someone, it's attached to a piece of string and someone off screen pulled the string. And you can tell that. It wasn't like some fancy effect. And this box moves. Everyone's like, and everyone, like the two characters we've been stuck with for like an entire hour. Just like, oh my god. That box moved, and they get up, and they start shouting, like, like they start shouting, I don't even remember the name, but they start shouting this name. And as far as I can tell, what was supposed to be conveyed to me, this is after, like, meditation. I climbed a mountain, I sat at the top of the mountain, I meditated for a week without any food or water, and that's how I've divined the plot of this movie. The woman at some point, when I think she was a child, lived in the house that we kept cutting back to, but that's never talked about. At all. 
I'm just guessing this. Okay. And that the serial killer came in there and killed maybe her parents, maybe somebody she knew, and she repressed the memory. We never see when it cuts back. We never see anyone in the house. We never see anyone get killed. The only person we ever see get killed is Joe Polygon in the, in the dream <laughs> sequence, whatever the fuck it was. And so we see that. We, we, so I'm like, okay, maybe she's like a little girl. She's repressed the memory, and that's why you have the psychic thing going on. So it's like yeah. a psychic thing. Okay. And I think... There's a there's the ghost the ghost that moves boxes because that's what ghosts <laughs> do that's the power they wield that they gain from losing their life and living in the other world is that they can pr- move boxes around because that's the only special effect they could possibly think of to convey the presence of a special ghost special effect yeah it, the effects were really special in this movie yeah. I tell you what but either the ghost was the ghost of the serial killer who died at some point. Or the ghost was of the person the serial killer killed. I don't know, because the only thing the ghost did was move boxes, and at some point it started talking, but it started talking when someone was flushing the toilet, so I don't know what it said. So, so that, so, the, the killer, the ghost moves some boxes, they act really surprised because boxes are fucking moving, and it's so fucking terrifying. At some point, something gets resolved because resolved the ghost goes away. The girl forgives him, or, like, the guy realizes that, that oh, we conducted psychic experiments, and so we've solved this ghost's trauma. And this is just me pulling shit from, like, all, like, the supernatural, like, fiction I've consumed. Like, all my years of watching X-Files. Just like, okay, this has to be, the ghost has to have a reason to exist. They've got to have solved it somehow for the ghost to have gone away. And the only thing they've done for the entire movie is sit there and subject me to... to torture in computer-generated form. So that's the only thing that's happened for the entire fucking movie. So something relating to that had to have solved the ghost's problem with his addiction of moving boxes. So that happened. The ghost went away, and then the movie stopped, and then I weeped for about a month. <laughs> and I'm here telling you Did this I, now. Did like, I, not hear from you for a month? Like, you just dropped off the face of the planet or something? Let's see, I remember... I, I made a Facebook post, and I was so... I remember that. Oh, my God. I, I was so... I, I, when I said I weeped for a week, uh, I'm, I'm being facetious. I was angry for a year. I just now getting... I was so fucking mad. I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to be funny. I was literally just furious after I watched that movie, because the movie ends, and it's like I'm something I can move, and I can, like, exert free will again, because I've been, I've been thrown free of its spell. I'm just like, what the fuck? What the fuck did I just do to myself? Who the fuck made this? I, I have to kill people now. I have to kill... I have to kill the, that bitch and the guy. Because they're the only people I saw, so it's like, if I see them in real life, they're dead. There's nothing stopping me, and then I won't be convicted. I'll just, like, show the trailer in court. They'll be like, oh, fuck you, you just did, you just, like, saved society from these monsters, these demons walking in the forms of people that make fucking movies to try to steal your soul. I mean... I'm, I'm a different person now after having seen that. I thought I thought it's like I've seen some pretty bad movies. You know, I saw Transformers two. That was a piece of shit movie. But no, no, I knew nothing. I had, I mean, Transformers two. Jesus Christ, that's like Citizen Kane. That's even better than Citizen Kane compared to after last season. Transformers two is like an orgasm on the screen compared to after last season. 
That's how much better Transformers 2 is compared to that movie. And I hate Transformers 2. But compared to after the last season, it's it's like God descending down and just giving me a blowjob. That's how good <laughs> Transformers 2 is compared to fucking after last season. So do not watch the movie. Do not do not watch the trailer. Do not go see stills. But I do have one last thing to convey. The, the evil of this film is that you think looking at it, that that they paid it by by prostituting themselves, and that's how yeah. they made the budget for the movie. They just they just you know they they fucked the actors, and then they found the director, and I, maybe the, I probably the director fucking probably wrote the entire thing. The director was probably the graphic designer, but this movie had a budget. There was money, money put into this movie, actual money, like millions of dollars were put into this fucking film. As a scam. These guys got investors to give them money to make this movie as a fucking scam. Because they spent none of it on the fucking movie. And they just took all the money for themselves. That's evil. That's fucking... That's, I mean, the, the people who made this movie are like the villains in most of the movies I've seen in my life. That's actually the plot to the producers. This, it's so <laughs> fucked. It's so fucked. Everything involving this movie. I can't... I just... It's just, but the, okay, the one shining light here is, is if you go to the trivia on IMDb, which I don't even do this. I'm just going to tell you this right now because I've, I've seen after last season, so I can be tangentially connected to it and not kill people. But you, <laughs> you might die if you watch it. So the film was only released in four cities. Afterward, distributors called each theater individually and told them to burn the prints because it was cheaper than sending them back. If that's true... Whoever the, the distributors... Oh, I've read that on other sites, too. They, yeah. No, they're heroes. But I suspect I suspect that that's just an excuse made up to explain a bizarre phenomena. I, I contend <laughs> that what actually occurred was that the evil condensed into act the literal film could only exist on the mortal plane for a certain amount of time before it just spontaneously combusted. And nobody knew what the fuck happened, so they just came up with this excuse. They just came up with this idea of what they were going to do. It's like, okay, we'll just explain that we had them burn it because it's such a terrible movie. No, this movie just like hellfire just seeped up from the alternate dimension from which it came and just consumed it again to go back to the realm. <laughs> That's what happened to the, the, the film. But our the fucking human genius, we came up with digital means of, of storing video. And so now it exists for all time because... It, digital video can uh, still get... It's... Like, it's, it's Okay. It's too much. It's it's if it's, they don't it's grounded them. now into our dimension, Jonathan. It can't okay. go back to hell. It's it's here for all eternity. So is it's this going to be part like, of our existence? So are we going to have to do a Terminator Two thing where we like destroy all the like hard drives and stuff that's contained on, like stopping Skynet? We stop after last season. It's too late. It's too no, late. It's it's too late. The I mean, Judgment Day has already happened. I mean, fuck. I I have another theory about how after last season came into being. If I if I may. Give go it. ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so at some point in the future, see, I have this, I have this theory. Was this during your week of meditation on the mountain? Yes, I have, the, I have this theory that in the history of mankind, in the history of the universe, we are naturally supposed to be good creatures. That there, if there's some sort of objective morality, we're naturally yes. supposed to be good. But at some point in the future, far off into the future, something happened. 
something happened that was just so monstrously evil that it just shattered the timeline and sent evil back into the past and has corrupted the, the rest of the timeline. And that event that happened in the future was the real after last season. There's a, there's a true after last season that got made at some point in the future that introduced evil into the world, just opened the floodgates, shattered the timeline, and what I saw was like a, it was like a shadow. It was a brief glimmer, just poking through, through the timeline from past to future of that true movie. And I saw that, and I wept. That's, that's what after last season is. It is that which made all evil in mankind. That's what it is. That's that's what has made all of our. I mean. I, I made the joke about the, the Satan thing, right? <laughs> Think about this. What if it wasn't Satan that came first and after last season modeled itself after Satan? <laughs> what if after last season came first and Satan, the word and the concept, exists as a corruption of after last season? That's, that's what happened. I watched pure evil, so you don't have to. <laughs>